Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 270, the Endgame episode, wherein Graham McMillan and I talk about Avengers Endgame at such lengths. It is a miracle the next Marvel movie did not open theatrically by the time we were done. It is a full spoiler discussion about what we expect from Marvel movies, what we expect from this Marvel movie, and all the ways it is terrific and terrible and frustrating and satisfying all at once. Also discussed, the Cindy and Biscuit books by Dan White, Odd Cox, If You Wonder in the Badlands, Crunchy Hammond Organ Music, Old Issues of Detective Comics, and Other Mysteries of the DC Universe app, RPG Adventures, Volume 2 of The Yankees, and of course, our oldest and bestest friend, Garfield. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lesser! Graham McMillan, hello! Let me tell you about the wonders of technology. <laughs> Please do. No, this is surreal. I've never, ever had this happen before. I don't know how it happened. It's really weird. I heard you before Skype calls started ringing. What? Mm-hmm. How can that even be? I don't know, but literally, like, because the, 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 like, alarm thing that said you were calling. Right. Came up, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, I, like, it wasn't me, but I heard someone go, <clears throat> and then it went, do, do, do. Holy <laughs> do, shit. Do, do. That's creepy. That may have been me. Right? Oh, boy. Right? Isn't that really genuinely weird? And then, of course, I picked up and talked to you, and you didn't hear the first bit of my conversation. And yet, somehow, I might have heard you before I picked up. Uh, wow wow right yeah that's a little bit of a brain breaker graham that's uh that's the sort of thing that stephen king would write a um pretty dismissible short story I, I about was, i was gonna say really that's what i was gonna say it, it's you know it's one of the new twilight zone stories <laughs> i guess we're talking the same thing then okay that's fine well yeah you know that. it's it's you you have like me seeing it Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you start with a slow pan and it goes past, like, cause it's very sunny in Portland right now. And so it expands past the windows and to me in the headset. And I'm like, Jeff, do you want to hear something crazy about technology? And then it cuts to you and you're like, oh, oh, that's freaky. And then it pans past you to like a chair right beside you. And Jordan Peele's sitting in it and he's like, podcasters talking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Honestly, you should just start writing this down. I think you could probably sell a podcasting twilight zone episode to jordan peele pretty easily he'd be like Uh, yeah i've been looking for like five or six of those and none of the he you know he wants it you know he wants it (laughs) yeah but like if they were going to do a podcast episode it would be like a true crime podcast right but oh no wait shit isn't that the plot of the of the new the the new plane one that like the dude hears the podcast and it's the podcast about the plane crashing and and it's the plane he's on no no is it okay yeah i think it is i I think that is the plot of it that's hilarious i think it's actually a podcast episode he already of course he launched you know like podcast episode was in the first six damn it uh i can't well maybe we can get in on the composting episode you know, uh, well, or, or we wait for them to revive the outer limits, 
and then just do it that way. Ah, the outer limits. That's you know what that is. The outer limits is just going to be Portlandia sketches played straight. That's all. It's I thought you were going to say play slower. It was slower. <laughs> Portlandia sketches at like point five speed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Welcome. To wait, watch where Jeff and I have already gone off the rails. Yes, severely. Well, it's actually been pretty sunny here. In fact, the the window uh, behind me is streaming in a lot of sunlight, which both feels good and makes it ridiculously hard to see any of my screens. So, oh, good. Uh, That's always good. Yeah, I got screens away from the window, Jeff. I, I I did with one, but the other one, it's I, it's just it it doesn't work. I I don't know how to explain it. It's a big window. It's a big, big window. So the geography of your room. Well, this is this is Edie's office. So oh, okay. yeah, that, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I was like, you can't be in your in, in the normal room room you're in there. Yeah, no, 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 no. It, yeah, Edie's office has it. So and it's right where the sun comes in, and it's all window along that wall, pretty much. So it's uh, yeah. But it. But hey, I the think back of my neck. Forgetting. Yes, yes, tan. That wonderful concept that um, you know, it, uh, essentially everyone thinks of as babies for skin cancer now. So, <laughs> I I have goes the weather. I mean, like I feels like two weeks ago in Portland, we're still having rain and like overcast and rain and cold. Right. Um. And so when it turned to to sun, it's one of those things where it just sort of turned really quickly. And uh, clearly, my body was not prepared because I feel like literally in a day. I got burned. Wow, really? It was. Um, I can say this now because the story's been announced. I did a, a, a an interview with um, Josh Williamson and and David uh, Marquez for the for the Batman Superman story for THR, mm-hmm. and we did it outside because mm. it was a nice day, mm. right? We were in the shade. Good God, that, I'm literally washing my face, and I'm like, why is my head sunburned? Wow. That's amazing. We, I, you guys weren't at the waffle window, were you? We were not. Um, have you ever been to Crema? Don't know. Don't... It, it, it's a coffee shop. Okay. Uh, you, here's how I'll, I'll place it for you. It's it's literally like three blocks uh, north of the the sushi place you and me go to. Mm. Mm. If you literally just keep going. In fact, we went to Cheese and Crack that one time, remember? Yes, yes, I do it's remember between that. The two. It's literally on the way between the two. Ah. Uh, uh, uh. yeah. and, and so, it, but we were sitting there and we were we were sitting outside because I stupidly thought that the audio would be better than being inside because I'm recording conversation, obviously, and being a professional journalist. Right. Um, and also, to be honest, Portland's such a comic city mm-hmm. that I want us to be, because was, this was done Cloak and Dagger. Mm-hmm. Right. This was mm-hmm. done very much with a uh, nobody can know this because we kept this secret for so long. And then, of course, like fucking Rich Johnson runs the story the day before the THR story. No, um, ah. it's the day, the day before, mm. and he ended up running three different stories about it. Really? Um, but but this is like you know, jump back like a week and a half, and. Josh and, and David and I are meeting to this interview, and it's really been treated like it's you know the biggest secret in the world, mm-hmm. right? Because at that point, no one knew that they were working on this book, and yeah. no one knew that David Marcus was with DC. Yes, um, and so like we'd all had it drilled into us, basically like you're not fucking telling anyone, you're not telling anyone, no one. 
And so I'm like, let's sit outside because if we're inside, what if someone is like a comics person and they see us all together and hear us talking about it? We'll have blown the secret. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, sitting outside talking loudly about it is somehow better. Yeah. I don't know where my head was at with that. Well, it sort of makes sense. I mean, because it's... It doesn't. And during we actually get interrupted by... Oh, God, I can't remember her name for life me, and now I'm really embarrassed. Uh, 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 An artist friend of, of David's... Like, we're going blah, 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 like, you know, and then, you know, the Batman Who Laughs is this, and blah, 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 and tell me all about your children. Uh, and literally, you just hear his voice, we like, hey, hey! <laughs> and we turned around, it was like, I haven't seen you for ages! It was like, hey! And I was like, it's like this is the worst secret meeting we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, you got to work on your secret meeting skills, it sounds like. And then that night I had sunburn. The end. That's the my story. And wow, wow. Riveting, riveting listening, listeners, I gotta tell you. <laughs> wow, you're being sarcastic to my face, to my virtual face, to my ears. Jeff. Yes, yeah, to your ears. To be fair, it's not really sarcasm towards you, because I'm interested, but I do have those moments of like, I can't imagine anyone else's, but you know, but hopefully they're just like, yeah, that's awesome. I have to admit it, Graham, I'm being incredibly lazy for whatever reason. I'm just sleepy as hell. This this sun's probably putting me to sleep. So I, I apologize. Any Garfieldisms, you know, are just me trying to keep myself awake through sheer brattiness. I mean, the thing that's crazy Garfieldisms. Is, yeah, Garfieldisms, right? I mean, it's kind okay. of... Okay, this weirdly, weirdly... Like, ties in with something I wanted to ask you. Oh, that's terrifying. It, it was, okay, today's free comic book <laughs> Jeff, day. Jeff, do you like lasagna? Yeah, yes, uh, yes it is. Uh, today's free comic book day, as, as, as we're recording, yep. I was at Cosmic Monkey earlier on uh, for the free comic book day stuff, right? Nice. Uh, and and waiting in line to buy stuff afterwards, because you don't do, just do free comic book day for the free stuff, you Absolutely. also buy things. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm waiting in line, and I'm waiting beside the All Ages. Comics, Cosmic Monkey has a great All Ages, like, two big All, all Ages racks. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm waiting there, and they've got, like, you know, all the things you'd expect to see All Ages. Yeah. And also, part of that is a genuinely, shockingly large display of Garfield comics. Mm. Garfield collections. Mm-hmm. Like, not the boom Garfield comics, like the, 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 the originals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm fairly sure were the books I read as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, you, you're talking material that's at least 30 years old. Right. Um, and I was kind of shocked, isn't the right word, but surprised, like, that is somehow still a viable thing for kids. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, so here's my question. A, were you a Garfield fan back in the day? Or even now? Uh, or even now. <laughs> yes, my love of Garfield has only grown over time. Uh, no, 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 no. I, you know what? I think that Garfield for what Garfield is, is, is more or less fine. And I remember when it started and probably read the first two or three years of it. And I thought it was okay. I mean, you know, it's just that thing of, um, I don't know for you, but for me growing up reading comics in the newspaper, just so ran the gamut between, Stuff that seemed sort of flat and uninspired. Uh, and it seemed like anything that seemed to have a, any sort of vitality kind of stood out. And I felt like Garfield really 
did have something to it for this first couple of years. And uh, the great thing is having younger brothers who were also into comics. Um, I got to read much more all ages material past the point where like, I mean, it wasn't cool for me to read per se, but I was still mm-hmm. able to read it anyway. So I'm, I know that I read the first four or five of those Garfield collections and I thought they were fine. I didn't think they were, you know, tremendous. They weren't, they didn't, they didn't ring my chimes quite the same way. Like when I went through my Doonesbury fetish or, uh, Bloom County, you know, really, which I don't think is it. Honestly, I feel like if I had to read stuff that I, you know, to see how it aged, I suspect that Garfield, most of Garfield would probably hold up better than most of Bloom County, you know? Although, oh, sure, but like Bloom County and Doomsbury were very much of their time. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's part of right. their appeal, right? Yeah. Because yeah. It, at Bloom County, like, Doomsbury was obviously more of a political mm-hmm. uh Contemporary, contemporary instances, but Bloom County was very much pop cultural, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And and part of that is that like it doesn't age as well, you know. Garfield, right? Say what you want about it, there's there is a certain timelessness, i.e., it doesn't really age right. to something like you know he's a cat and he likes lasagna and he hates the other cats and the dog's stupid, right? You know, like that doesn't age. That's that's as funny now as it was then. Right, right. No, exactly. So I can sort of see how kids would be into it because there's sort of a, like, it does not age. I read volume two of Yankees. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I mentioned volume one to you. It's the manga that is about, um, it's, you know, sort of tough gangsters fighting in the streets, sort of tough thugs. Mm-hmm. But the catch is they're actually cats. So it'll cut back and forth between guys punching one another. And then you turn the page and it's cats hissing at one another and slapping one another. And and there's just comics and cats go really, really well together, I've found, basically. I know that's sort of silly, but for whatever reason... Like I that that volume of the Yankees went down very very easily, but you know they're and it's not really like anyone's like oh yes Garfield is profound in how he captured the movement of cat bodies like you know clearly not. <laughs> it's Garfield was the cats of cartoon cats. Right, exactly. Uh, Garfield is is kind of like the guy sat down and decided to do the anti Snoopy. You know what I mean? Like just literally made a list of everything that Snoopy was on one side and then just reversed it, you know, and was like, okay, great. You know, and uh, here's the weird thing. If that is like, I don't think it is what it is, but if it is, that's kind of genius. Right. I mean, it kind of does seem genius. I don't necessarily think that that is what he was doing, but, you know, but if it turned out to be the case, I wouldn't actually be shocked. This is great. I um. Uh, I was afraid that we were going to spend the whole time talking about Avengers Endgame because I did finally, finally, he says, I saw exactly. it on Tuesday. It's been out for a week. Exactly. Just, doesn't it feel like Avengers Endgame has been out for like two months already? And it's been out for like, at this point, I think eight days. Yeah, yeah. No, it totally, it totally does for me. Um, even to down to the point of me being like, boy, I sure hope I get a chance to see it again in the theaters. And it's like, 
Jeff, it's been eight days. Yeah, you will get a chance. So, um, so I figured we could. So do that a, suggests that you liked it. A super heavy talk, not necessarily, Graham. No, uh, you know what? Honestly, this is why if I you really want to see talk it again. It. It's a three-hour film, Jeff. Maybe there's reasons for that, Graham. Maybe there are very, very good reasons for that uh, uh, that have nothing to do with watching a movie. Maybe, maybe if you want to sleep in a movie theater, be able to get up somewhere else to be. The difference between a three-hour nap and a two-hour nap is significant. It's significant, Graham. So, uh, I mean, to be fair, that's true. Yes. I appreciate you giving me my kudos on that, Graham. That's no, I, I, very generous I 100% of you. Will. Yeah. You're wrong. <laughs> Congratulations. It's, I I have to take these moments and savor them when I get them. Uh, actually, so, I mean, I would love to talk the fuck out of Avengers Endgame. Um, but I don't know, A, if that's where you're at. B, I don't think that we can do it without spoiling the shit out of it, and I don't know if that's necessarily a thing. It's also part of why I was like, well, maybe we should do this relatively early on if we do want to do it, um, so then people can skip over it. Or I guess alternately save it for, like, I don't know, the last half hour or something. Because, again, lots of thoughts, Graham, lots of thoughts. Okay, let's let's do it then. Let's let's get those lots of thoughts. I am. What's really funny is, again, because it has been, like – a week that feels like a year. Yeah. Like, I I am honestly kind of like, huh, so do I remember what I thought about Avengers Endgame? Right. Like, I, like that's and that's not a joke. No, no, um, no. I do get it. Because I almost called you when I came back Tuesday night. Because I was like, I, I doubt. Because I really had, it was a lot of stuff. And then by today, I was like, fuck, what was I thinking? Shit, why didn't I take some notes? God damn it. You it's know. so weird, right? What's what's also um, very funny is, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but I said something along the lines of like, I think my enjoyment of Avengers Endgame comes from basically me not having a passionate response to the rest of the MCU and like going in with lowered expectations. And people thought I was being snarky and I genuinely wasn't. Mm, mm-hmm. Like I 100% because what I've noticed is the majority of people who are having very strongly negative reactions to it mm-hmm. are the big MCU fans hmm. because they're not getting the closure that they wanted, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, like, I have at least two or three friends who were massive MCU fans who are actively angry at the film. Interesting. Huh. Uh, and, and, watch, like, and I literally was like, like, I see why you're upset. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I don't even disagree with your points, but I don't care that much like i'm willing to give them a pass and all the stuff that you can't give them a pass on well you know and i uh um hmm. yeah okay so everyone we're going to talk about avengers endgame i fully plan on spoiling everything not that i uh, and i think and you I know like, hopefully should be fine honest I, I, again i suspect that the people here who care about it will have seen it by now. Well, that's what I'm hoping, but I do want to lay that down because every once in a while we get people who we, t- you know, who sort of text in, and it's, you know, it's like, hey, I couldn't see it because of blank. So, you know, so so everyone check the show notes, and yeah. Jeff will tell you when you can listen again. Yeah, when you can start listening. So I can't. I really wish that I could say it would be great. I should come in while editing and insert a little vocal track. It's like, please skip to. Yeah, why don't you? I because it's work, Graham. For God's sakes, you. I look. I believe in you. <laughs> so, uh, so let me say before I get into the sort of 
it's it's a profoundly weird movie um and one of the things that i think my thesis uh, i think that i will develop as as the conversation goes on is i feel that avengers endgame more or less its weaknesses are arguably the weaknesses that all the mcu movies have except because it's at a larger <laughs> level <laughs> yeah the, because it's a larger level it's more or less impossible to ignore in ways that at least for me i was perfectly capable of ignoring in the literally 17 or 18 other marvel movies that i've seen i think you mean 21 well i what i'm not saying that i saw all of them graham oh now i'm curious what ones haven't you seen uh, I still haven't seen Captain Marvel. Uh, I still haven't seen Thor 2, The Dark World. Uh, uh, is that it? Let's see, I've seen Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3. I saw Captain America, Captain America 2, and Captain America 3. I saw Thor and Thor Ragnarok. Saw The Incredible Hulk. Saw Avengers. Saw Avengers Age of Ultron. Saw two uh, Guardians of the Galaxies. Uh, two Guardians of the Galaxies. I guess I did get around to see that. I'm not even sure I finished watching Guardians of the Galaxy. So two. So maybe that's you the one. Didn't miss much. We'll see. I know, but I'm just trying to say for purposes of 21 movies, 18 is about right because I think I I definitely flat out have not seen two, and maybe did not finish watching one of them. So um, I think that's right. I, I mean, that seems it. fine. Yeah, it's really yeah. weird to have gotten to this point and also for me to realize, like, I have seen them all. Right. No, I mean, that's kind of it. Like, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm like, fuck, I saw 18 of these motherfucking things without really even trying too hard. Uh, so before I get to the failure section, which I think, I don't know, I want to turn over and talk about mainly because I'm hoping that you and I can get a sense of to what extent it's particular to Avengers Endgame and to what extent it's endemic to the Marvel Universe mm -hmm. movies. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to talk about the good points, especially with you, and especially because I feel that Avengers Endgame is the closest to a Steve Englehart comic on the screen that I think that we'll actually get around to seeing, you know? I, I can see that. I oh. actually can, especially because I think Endgame made space for some character moments not none of it especially deep but again you could argue that either Engelhart's was but but there was you know as opposed to like infinity war i think endgame is a much better film than infinity war i'll just put that out there i'm not sure i agree with you i would actually oh no i, I know i know there it. are people that, that do not yeah really you think infinity war is better yeah i think i think it's arguable to say that infinity war is a better uh better made movie in some ways yeah i think so I, I find that game preferable because A, I like the character work more. B, it doesn't feel as long as it is. Mm -hmm. Like, Infinity War feels like a longer film to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Infinity War has the boldness of the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? But Infinity War also feels like it felt. Oh, this is ridiculous. It feels less organic than Endgame. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Endgame does not feel like an organic film at all. Right. But Infinity War feels like there is a checklist of characters who have to appear. Mm -hmm. uh, it feels, it, it, in fact, Infinity War feels very much like uh, Shooter's Secret Wars to me. Mm. There's, there's checklist of characters who have to appear. Mm -hmm. And when they do, it's almost as if characters come on and be like, Captain America, it is good to see you again. I, you know, the Winter Soldier... I'm happy to see you. Look, here is Black Panther. 
Uh, and and Endgame doesn't. Endgame uh, does well, not have that for me. So but I, I think it's to its detriment. I think to me one of the things that is interesting and kind of bold uh, is that Avengers. The the trick with Avengers: Infinity War is. There are so many clowns in the clown car part of the movie, it, you're right, is structured in getting them all in there. I yes. actually think that it's sort of done um, relatively well or with enough good humor. I mean, honestly, I think this is something that I would like to talk about later with the MCU is the idea that they the movies are actually, for the most part, surprising you – but mainly by how uh, enjoy how much more enjoyable they are than we seem to expect, and yes. or how much more like a quote unquote real movie they can be, despite whether that's really true or not. But I think the really yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'm not sure if I'll use the second part of that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think I think there is a common theme in MCU movies that they are like you you're rarely if ever surprised by them. Mm-hmm. But the surprise is often the surprise of the movies is often this is more fun than I, th- I thought it. Yeah, be. exactly. Or I know exactly what you're doing, but you know what? I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah. As with other movies, where you like all you're aware of is like you know, oh, and this is going to happen next. Yep, and this is going to happen next. Yep. Right. And you know, and it's and it's it's distracting in that way. Yeah, I I um. Well, anyway, I'll hopefully I'll come back to that portion of things but i think so the the surprising i is that the event avengers endgame is technically more of an avengers movie than infinity war is of course Mm -hmm. and so it it focuses on quote unquote the original team it has uh more time with each of those characters and those characters all get their moments in ways that perhaps because it's the you know I'm sure because it's yeah the farewell to them that they kind of all get their little uh, set pieces or things. Uh, So I I can see why it would feel differently for you in that regard because they've got so far fewer characters to worry about in the movie that it really opens up the space just tremendously. you know, even Captain Marvel, who they bring in at the beginning to rescue Tony, more or less just flies off. They do the fire. Captain later. Marvel is kind of hilarious to me in that yeah. film because I feel like she got such a build up and is just not in the film. And yeah. and like her use in the use of her in the film is kind of hilariously terrible. Well, I don't know if it's uh, it's I didn't have. I quite feel like that she's reaction. literally. I, I feel like you could literally take her out of the film and not change anything. Well, I mean, she's sort of a strange... Uh, w- one of the things that I liked about it almost is the idea that uh, having not seen the Captain Marvel movie and therefore not really knowing much, the weird parts are, A, she sort of shows up. At, you know, it's weirdly like it kind of actually reminded me of the Justice League movie where it's... It's like she is the Superman character, and you because of that you kind of have to keep her. Yeah, you off have, you can't have her in the film. Yeah, in order right? for there because... to be any tension. Yeah. Yes, and, and and what? 
that for me, Captain Marvel in Endgame is problematic because a she is that, mm-hmm. um, but also like she's this weird Deus Ex Machina who you feel could literally be taken out of the film and replaced by another character with a little bit more work, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't change the film at all. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that feels amazingly forced. Mm. You know, like you have the bit, the, you you do the five years later jump, and and Black Widow's talking to everyone on their holograms, right? Uh, Captain Marvel's there, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm out in space, you know, taking care of shit." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Okay," and then they're like, "Okay, we're gonna go back in time to get the Infinity Stones." And apparently, it's like, "Why aren't you calling the most powerful person you know?" Right? Or is she too busy? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, that that she's not like it's it's just dumb, mm-hmm. and then but you know she comes back to you know almost get the Infinity Gauntlet where it needs to be at the very end battle, yeah, but then can't because that's not what the story needs. Well, yeah, and so it's like no, she's exactly. back for like you know for, to be like for everyone to be like Captain Marvel's awesome hasn't really done anything. Okay, <laughs> well, you know it, it's just it's this weird weird thing where it's like. Dudes, like, I don't think you know what to do with her apart from that you feel like you have to have her in this film. Right. And so you just keep writing her out. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I absolutely agree, and that is 80 or 90% the case, uh, but I appreciate how well they hide it by such a – by such a – well, see, she's such a powerful character that you kind of got to have her off screen. And for me, as someone who didn't see the Captain Marvel movie, like – the her flying through space and rescuing Tony meant really nothing to me. But the scene where she more or less destroys Thanos's ship, you know, with her bare hands, I was kind of like, okay, that's pretty cool. Like they filmed it well, it looked all right, and in a way, although it doesn't make sense for the plot in this particular movie, like all the people who got aced prior have nothing to do until you know when they come back and then they're just kind of cool but there's nothing there so part of me is like okay they don't really know what to do she's a plot hammers cameo thing like it's odd and it's weird but as someone who didn't see the captain marvel movie i'm willing to give it enough of a gimme you know what i mean the other thing that's very funny is so she arrives and she basically destroys the ship yeah and like I feel that's incredibly close to like the climactic set piece in Captain Marvel. Mm, and what's funny is Captain Marvel was made after Endgame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're actually seeing Brie Larson in the in the order it was shot. Oh really? Wow. Huh. By by seeing this before Captain Marvel. Interesting. Huh. That's and wild. it's it's like I wonder if in the Captain Marvel film, which I found it like really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have a third act. Right. And they were like, and let's they were just like, do oh, this. But in Endgame, she yeah. looks awesome because she comes and she destroys the ship. Right. So what if there were like three Kree right. ships that she has to deal with? <laughs> you know, and she right. de- she destroys one and scares the others off. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's very much like, for me watching it, I was like, you know, this, it's almost better that it's, you know, that's literally a small fraction of the climactic uh, in battle in Endgame. Mm-hmm. Because it is just a repeat of the climactic moments of of Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's good to know. I'm kind of glad, of course, that I didn't see Captain Marvel before then because it sort of gave me a moment of like, wow, that I, I clearly wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, but maybe I, not again, because you know there are many people for whom Captain Marvel 
the movie was great, and also seeing Captain Marvel in Endgame was also great. Right. You know, so it's you know, it's it's very much a your mileage may vary thing. Yeah, very much so. Uh, so, like I said, for me though, it's it's I'm not sure if it's the character bits that are Englehardy, although there is that. It's just the way that Englehart would take a story at Marvel and usually bring in old continuity, um, you know, in weird ways, basically, to make connections. And mm-hmm. that is essentially what happens with Time Heist. And yes. in particular, the for me, the parts of Captain America versus Captain America, of course, yes. is going to feel very Englehart-y. Mm-hmm. Um but also, to me, uh, Hawkeye versus Black Widow feels like something straight out of the Avengers Defenders War, you know, where it's like two heroes who are battling it out more or less for the ability to sacrifice one another. Re- I mean, sacrifice themselves. It really did kind of remind me of like when, God, I don't remember, is it the Vision is fighting in Japan with Submariner, maybe, and then maybe. Sunfire I, I, gets involved, or maybe it's, it's Captain it's, America and Submariner versus Sunfire in Japan. I, all, all I remember is like, it's not Thor versus the Silver Surfer. Yeah, right. It's Thor yeah, versus Silver like, Surfer. Yeah. yeah. So it just it just really had that, and perhaps because there's also that weird otherworldly thing going on there. It was just I was like, oh, this is this is Englehardy. Like some of the weird like willing to take the characters and have them make step like weird steps forward, like weird jumps in their development. It to me is very Englehardy. It's like, I, I feel that it's actually one of the parts of the movie that they did incredibly poorly, but the, the, the sort of massive um, jump forwards with Hulk and Thor are, you know, where at first we're kind of these weird, like, oh, this, again, it reminds me of Englehart's um, fearlessness of, like, oh, I'm going to take a character moment, like, this is going to change the character, and I'm going to insist on changing the character relatively dramatically from how they appeared before, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and again, like I said, the time heist just felt like a weird way to play, um, you know, th- those sort of Englehart-y continuity hijinks. Which might be one of the reasons why I love the time heist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I legitimately, and especially the Captain America, Captain America stuff. You're right. No, I, it, that's just fun. Also, the Captain America elevator scene is great, isn't it's it? It's great. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's smart. It's funny as shit. Yeah. Like I, I, I told you before. Like I saw on like the first screening uh, at the theater I was at in Portland, and. You could sense the audience tense up because yep. everyone's like, "We're going to see the fight again. We're going to see the fight again. We're going to yeah. see the fight again," and just to find the way out of it that they did, yeah, was really smart. Like, yeah. was legitimately smart and also really funny. Yeah, and they, like you could feel the tension builds in the crowd, and then the laughter that dissipated it. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. It, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, but, but you know, it wasn't that the you know Captain America. You know, 2012 Captain America saying I could do this all day, and 20, or I guess 2023 Captain America being like, "Fuck, I know." Yeah, was also really funny. It's yeah. ma- like it's it's noticing and acknowledging that Cap said that in every single one of his films. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. no? It, really. Absolutely. So, 
you know, and then and even after he knocks himself out and looks down and goes like, yeah, that is America's ass. Like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 So, no, the time high stuff was 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 fabulous. It was also a very strange. It's funny because, of course, when you and I spoke last week, you'd seen the movie. I hadn't. And I had talked about that idea of Marvel Studios kind of trying to figure out ways to make different kinds of movies and have them still be Marvel movies. And I felt like that was the clearest one yet in a way. It was like, fuck, they're doing a time travel movie within it's, you know, within Endgame. It's the, it's a really odd choice, but it's, it's also like it only, it literally takes up another genre it plays very openly and makes jokes about you know within the the scope of that genre you know in part to be able to quickly shorthand the rules but you know all the back to the future references were funny uh and then when it comes out the thing that's weird is that like there's the first third the second third which is the time heist and and the last third which is the um you know, big final showdown, the, the, where the time stuff starts to go wrong and, and Thanos comes back and, and fucks him up. And, uh, that's a, that final third is a really weird, well, the, the opening and the closing are the, the really weird parts, you know, and I'm okay with them in some ways, but I am also aware of how much the, like I uh, will link in the show notes to a- Amy's essay uh, about yeah. Avengers Endgame, which I, of course, you know, I think she published uh, to the web on Monday, and I got to read uh, like Wednesday morning after I saw it. And it's, it's wonderful, and honestly, yeah. like raises a lot of things about the the Steve conclusion that I hadn't considered. Yeah, I hadn't either. I hadn't either, and I thought that it was really interesting the extent that for me of like. Again, kind of that – that's where I was saying with the Marvel movies is in Avengers Endgame, you've got lots of scenes of like character moments and characters and actors really acting. Like there's some really good performances in there that are – you know uh, that show people grieving or people upset or people realizing what they're going to have to do in order to do the thing that needs to be done. Yeah. And, you know, and all that. And I kind of had that weird sort of patronizing. Wow, it's just like a real movie. But when you go and read Amy's piece, it's such a. It's it. It's kind well, of it, not, it's, you know, well, they, it's, as you say, that like Amy's piece and Meg Downey's piece for mm-hmm. GameSpot, which is a, like coming from a similar place of Steve's Steve Rogers, like uh, climax in the film. Mm-hmm. is a betrayal of his character arcs at this point. Yeah. Are are the things that make me go, this movie worked for me because I didn't care so much. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because it, like Amy and Meg argue their case entirely like successfully, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't go in going, well, you know, I am such a Steve Bucky fan mm-hmm. that Steve has these emotional responsibilities and ties, mm-hmm. you know, and and they're like they're right mm-hmm. when you see them argue their case they're entirely right and it makes you realize what is missing in Endgame mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know like the, the things that have textually or subtextually been built up through the the, the movies right 
that that not only don't get payoff but get almost actively rejected by the film. well betrayed is the way that that Amy puts it and it and which makes sense I mean separate and apart from the stuff going on with Steve and Bucky which is kind of its own thing the way that Amy puts it in her essay that makes a lot of po- a, a really good point is Cap who is someone who literally lost time and woke up you know decades past when he left is they're facing a world in which half the world comes back to uh, a, a world that it feels like they didn't, you know, they were just gone for a second and five years have passed. Like, yes, arguably, they have all become Captain America. They've all become Captain America. They've all undergone a trauma that he has gone through. And that is precisely when he cuts out. And it's and it is it's it is such a strong like and what I really like about Amy's uh, point is uh, is that she suggests that certainly from Captain America Civil War uh, on, you know, Tony Stark has made an explicit argument that Cap is, you know, is is essentially selfish. Like he only cares about his friends and himself and any other. You know, all of his talk of altruism it isn't really anything more than him just being, you know, uh, basically hiding his true nature. Yeah, right. Whereas yeah. Tony's a lot more honest about who he is and what he wants. And the thing that I think is fascinating about the Marvel films is she makes the case that it's like, you know, more or less any in in. Any other scenario, if these were, again, the quote-unquote real movies, you could ascribe an intentionality to the Marvel people who are basically saying, yeah, Captain America was kind of full of shit, you know? But I don't think that that's what they're trying to say. I no, really no, don't. I, I don't think it know? is. There, there's, okay, there's a couple of things here. One is before Endgame, I watched or rewatched Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America Civil War, um, Infinity War, yeah, those those ones. Okay. Um, and had surprisingly different responses to all the films than I previously had. Okay. Uh, I found myself liking Avengers and Age of Ultron much more than I previously had. What? No, really, seriously. And uh, I'm, I'm finding new things to dislike about them at the same time. Okay. But one of the things that's really interesting to me about these two, and this is actually not my thought, it's something that Patrick Willems says in a, a video, one of his video essays about the MCU that I watched before I watched these movies, is in the first two Avengers movies, they're actually being superheroes. Mm-hmm. They're trying to save civilians, mm-hmm. and their focus is on saving other people and then stopping the bad guy. Right. As soon as you get to Civil War, mm-hmm. Everyone else disappears from these movies. Mm-hmm. Like everyone else becomes fodder. Mm-hmm. To the point where, where you, when you rewatch them, you realize that, like, Whedon, for all his sins, and Jeff, there are so many sins, yes. but for all his sins, um, he's setting up a supporting cast for the Avengers movies. Yes, absolutely. You know, like, there's an act, there's an active supporting cast of characters that recur in his two movies, even when there's no reason to. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Eric Selvig. <laughs> um, but but you know Whedon is actually trying to have 
regular people, quote-unquote, in his films. And there's a big focus on you save the people who don't have the fucking powers before you go after everyone else. Mm -hmm. You hit Civil War, which, you know, Whedon's out of the picture. It's now the people who are going to go on and do the next two Avengers movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And Civil War is textually about the fact that the Avengers are too dangerous for everyone else. Mm -hmm. There is no everyone else for them to be textually too dangerous for anymore. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the film... And everyone in Infinity War and everyone in Endgame is actively involved in the story. Mm-hmm. There are no bystanders anymore. Mm-hmm. The bystanders are literally, you know, just faces mm-hmm. who don't get any dialogue. Right. And that's like there, there is such a such a thing like there. But you know, when you're arguing that Captain America only cares about his friends, mm-hmm. that's really supported by the films because. The films are only interested in Captain America's friends. Well, and, and that in many ways mirrors comics. Yes, no, I, you know agree. I mean, like you absolutely and supporting mm-hmm. guests disappear, right? Right, but but it's it's very very present in the films, mm-hmm. and so it's actually hard to argue that Captain America doesn't just care about his friends, right? Because everyone else gets pushed out of the films, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. It's yeah. it's such a, a a weird weird thing. The other thing that happens when I rewatched all these movies is, I found myself agreeing with Tony Stark a lot more in Civil War than I did the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot. I was like, yeah, but you know, this would just have all gone much easier if people at least listened to him. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. sure, he's a dick, and sure, he's clearly got post traumatic stress disorder after the Avengers movie. Right. Like. That's blindingly obvious in both Age of Ultron and Civil War, mm-hmm. right? He literally goes to a place of this traumatic thing happened to me, and now I have to keep everyone safe. Every, I just have to keep everyone safe. I have to do whatever it takes to keep everyone safe. Mm-hmm. And no one gives a shit about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, Captain America is a decent guy, as we believe he is, mm-hmm. because you know we all like Chris Evans' performance. He should at some point, like, take Tony Stark aside and be like, listen, you're clearly not okay. Right. But instead, he just admonishes him at every given opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the idea that these two characters have to be at loggerheads yes. overwhelms the humanity of Captain America. Mm-hmm. Like, Steve Rogers has no kindness in him when it comes to Tony mm-hmm. because the, the writing requires them to... to fight right to be at the opposite ends of an ideological argument or just in the case of age of ultron to like to fuel the story engine mm-hmm. you know they, everyone just blames him as opposed to goes what is going on with you yeah um and so watching these movies again and part of it helps watching age of ultron followed by civil war is that you do just see tony as this like really dramatically fucked up person mm. And so it's so really interesting to go from the Age of Ultron to Civil War to Infinity War, mm-hmm. where you see that, as Tony argues in, in Endgame, he was right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, he legitimately was right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really weird knowing that the writers always knew that. Mm-hmm. And yet, Tony is the one who's made to look like the asshole in the other movies. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the one that's supposed to come off unsympathetic. It's so strange to watch them all together again now. Well, I mean, and this this is this 
I think is one of the areas where things start creeping toward sort of, again, like there's a, uh, there's a lot of questions that sort of come up about, you know, intentionality and, and for me, which is, uh, like you said, if it's consistent enough, why shouldn't we ascribe it as a worldview? You know, when the first Iron Man movie came out, uh, because also it was happening uh, at the time of Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, I feel like there was a, a certain number of think pieces about, you know, the idea of conservative superheroes. Like, kind of like, this is their time that both... <laughs> Both Batman and Tony Stark are deeply Republican, you know, and I don't at the time I kind of poo pooed it. But there is it's kind of a very strange. The MCU's is arguably the parts where things get super hand wringy for me is the area at which it does look like um you know, if you're going to look at intentionality there and ascribe larger motives behind what's going on, which may or may not be a very sensible idea, but at least as far as the Avengers movies are concerned, is the idea that, that, you know, the more quote unquote liberal dudes like Steve is that he is essentially so a self-righteous and kind of bullshitting everyone. And Tony is the one that everyone looks down on because he's, you know, the conservative Republican who's traumatized. And and yet, you know, Tony's right. Like a friend of the podcast, Jared Kobeck, of course, you know, I remember having lunches with him way back when and talking about how deeply tied to the military the Marvel movies are. And in a very, very heavy, like there's no way that they um, are, you know, that that by putting S.H.I.E.L.D. in there, but also the larger um, tropes of what that, uh, of making S.H.I.E.L.D. so heavily and firmly a government agency and having... Mm -hmm. Tony's ties to the government that there's a very, um, it, uh, you know, kind of anyone who opposes what they're trying to get accomplished, uh, you know, are basically Hydra, you know, and Hydra uh, are, you know, Congress people who are trying to hold the, hold, you know, people accountable. They are, you know, government agents that are trying, you know, that it's just, and, and I feel like there's parts where something like a, a winter soldier steers arguably more back towards a completely liberal conception, I guess. But I mean, it's, it's a weird mess, the Marvel cinematic universe, because the, the flip side of it is, is that I almost wonder like, if nine if 11 had never happened, would we have a Marvel Cinematic Universe? Because in some ways, a good chunk of what runs through Iron Man and Cap and the Avengers movies is is n not the shadow of nine eleven, and it it's oh, I mean Avengers in particular. Avengers watch now, 
yeah. is is really impressively a movie about 9-11. Oh, completely. But, I mean, look at uh, – honestly, look at Avengers Endgame. There's, a, there's that scene where uh, – Tony oh, and, the, oh the, the, like the first half yes. hour or so. Yeah, Tony and Bruce are there in uh, Stephen Strange's apartment, and all of a sudden all these car alarms start going off, and they open the door, and there's like... Oh, you mean Infinity War. Yeah, sorry, Infinity War. Yeah. Infinity War, but yes, and that's my next point, is, is that the first half hour of Endgame, like the whole five years later sequence is weirdly only to me makes sense in a in i mean arguably it and even the time heist are these weird extensions of 9-11 feelings i guess you know it's like suddenly there's support groups where people are talking about weeping and how there's nothing they can do to help anyone and and that it's all just about moving on and big city streets shown completely desolate the way that they were utterly empty after the first couple of days of 9-11. And uh, just that sense of people still being in shock and grieving. And also the very weird thing, which again, Amy sort of points out in her essay of, you know, these people, like it's, it's these people, the Scarlet Witch is the uh, sorry Scarlet Witch Jesus God Black Widow is the only character who's still trying to be heroic. Everyone mm-hmm. else seems to have just thrown in the towel, and that again is what is weird is how that does not feel weird in a way. It makes sense because I feel like there's a lot of us in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, you know that are really aware of how much um, ground was lost between 2009-11-2001 and, say, 2006, and it felt like there was nothing we could really do, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it mm-hmm. feels emotionally true. And this is the part that I find kind of weirdly, again, interesting is, uh, I think with the exception of maybe... Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, most time travel movies to me become inherently more interesting if you think that the time travel part of the movie is a manifestation of the main character's neurosis and didn't actually happen than the actual time travel. You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. you look at something like even H.G. Wells's Time Machine, there's a narrator who's completely conflicted about you know, his place in the English Victorian class strata and suddenly like transfers it into this big thing. Back to the Future is about this, you know, kid, horny teen who literally takes all of his Freudian um, gestalt and throws it into uh, a whole area in which no it's not that he wants to fuck his mom it's his mom kind of wants to fuck him all he wants to do is you know make his dad be a real man by standing up for himself back in the 50s thanks to the embodiment of these new you know reagan republican values that that his teenage son is able to manifest you know weird shit like that and in a way time the the time heist in avengers is 
is such a strange level of people who cannot bring themselves to imagine that 9-11 never happened, even though the first part of the movie is entirely about them not able to come to terms with the fact that 9-11 happened. Like, once you get into the time heist thing, I totally get that for plot purposes, it's important that you don't think about the PIM particles, the limited amounts, you know, that you don't oh, actually yeah, it, it, go yeah, back yeah. and get more of them until until that second stage. But like, I'm not, you know, I'm not the sort of plot hole guy, but I'm like, wait a minute, why aren't you wishing for more wishes? Why, if you've got a limited number of PIM particles, like... Go back to when there's tons of them, which, of course, they... Yes, surely the first thing you do... Right, exactly. ...is just go back and steal more. Yeah, yeah. But there's this weird, like, even after or more or less that they talk about... And this is the the other thing that I find interesting and strangely neurotic about Avengers Endgame, uh, is as much as they talk about the idea of, like, yeah, you can go back and change the past you know, quote unquote, as much as you want, even though the ancient one, you know, goes on to explain to Banner that that's not the case, sort of. Um, it's still more or less the thing that they can go back and they can take these gems and create their own glove and bring thing, bring, bring him, bring back everyone that was lost. And yet it's this weird, like, like this strange, like, but you don't want to go back even further like there's such a weird like i don't even remember isn't there a point where someone's like yeah why don't we just go back and kill Thanos yes. as a baby yes and yes. i forget what the hell do they say like there's no the, the argument is that you can't it's the old it's the old marvel comics time travel argument mm -hmm. that if you go back and change history all you're doing is creating an alternate timeline you're not changing your timeline at all but this is the so, thing. Well, I agree, but the weird part is, is there's already an order for them to go back into time and do the my, you know, my my past is my present kind of thing. Like it doesn't. I don't have to worry about stepping on a butterfly or meeting myself or whatever. It you know is they're more or less acknowledging the fact that all they're doing is creating another timeline for themselves. That the thing with. Thanos no, but they're not creating the it for disappear. themselves, is the argument. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't... But that's... No, no, here's the thing. That's why, like, in all seriousness, right. I, I understand the people who are like, no, it all makes sense. It doesn't. Yeah. Like, there, there, there's the time travel stuff is really just, uh, you know what, sure, I'll go along with it. Sure, it's a hand-wavy thing. Right. And, and only becomes more so. Right, absolutely. By and, the time and... you get to the end of it, where things are just a fucking mess... The, the the idea that they bring back that at Tony's insistence, they don't roll back the clock to five years ago and bring everyone back and defeat Thanos and just wish it out. Tony doesn't want to lose the five years and everyone strangely agrees with him. So they create, as everyone ta has talked about after the film, it's this massive hellscape that's created. Yes. It's you know? absolutely nuts. Yeah. The, from this point on, the, all MCU movies are going to take place three years, four years in the future. Right. And four years in the future where, like, the world is significantly different. Yeah. And in no way prepared for everyone who died before to have suddenly come back to life. Right. Like, it, it, like in terms of resources, mm -hmm. in terms of, yeah. like, emotional, yeah. like, responses – there, you know, there's no way, and 
you can tell that they are 100% just going to, like, skip over it. Yeah, You know, the fact that all of Peter Parker's friends just happens to have been included. Yes, his entire class (laughs) ends up It's one of those signs where, like, okay then. Yeah. So we're just not going to talk about this, I guess. Gotcha. Right. And again, I feel like that is... But but that's a Marvel thing. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Think about the end of of Winter Soldier. Right. In which shields fell and all their secrets were released to the web... Which did nothing. And meant apart. nothing. No, 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 like, no. Absolutely nothing. Yep, yep, yep. Apart from the effects that, you know, the the post, uh, the PTSD for Tony Stark, it literally, nothing that happens at the end of any Marvel movie has any effect on the world at large. At all. And, and that... And it, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. It's a str- it's really a strange thing for a shared universe movie to have a place in which these big events sort of happen at the end but it is it it is completely static like you would think that that would be the absolute last thing but all that really happens is is the characters that are introduced in one movie then can pop up in another one and that's the closest that we can get to a, a continuity. continuity yeah but yeah. the but the marvel world itself like i said in a weird way endgame is more interesting to me in the way that it, as a as sort of a fever dream of characters who are trying to come to terms with 9-11 and yet can't you know can't quite bear it and yet can't quite bring themselves to undo it which to me a is probably the state of a good chunk of the Republican Party in America. Uh, and and B, maybe weirdly, like the state of the people making Marvel movies. You know, there's such a strange, um, you know, like watching this and watching Game of Thrones, which I've been watching in real time. Uh, Game of Thrones is really weird as it, as it moved into its final battle because it, it literally became so much about a bunch of people who needed to get past their own political differences in order to defeat an, an, uh, a, a, a shared foe. Yeah. A shared could, well, a foe that's actually because of its otherworldliness is more like a shared, a world-ending catastrophe, right? So for, for those of us who are really worried about climate change and it's ridiculous that it shouldn't be everyone on the goddamn planet at this point, it feels pressing, you know? The weird thing about Endgame is, is it has a weird, rueful sense of regret that also manifests as a, well, but this is the way that it's got to be kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it's a deeply, I'm, I'm shocked that Thanos does not get rebuked in two movies for his worldview at all. You know, there's a very mm-hmm. weird, like that strange, his strange ultra neo lib solution of like, well, if you just wipe out, you know, don't double half the resources with your godlike people, what you know, powers wipe out half the people. And then suddenly, you know, the world is big enough for everyone. And then at the end of things, like the thing that's hilarious is 
those of us who are strangely like, well, wait, how the fuck is the world going to function when half of it reappears after five years and things have changed and infrastructure is, you know, scaled down and, you know, all of a sudden... It, the movie has this weird side effect of if you're paying attention, suddenly you're making like weird Thanos like noises. And that's um, kind of gross to experience, you know, as mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. somebody who's kind of um, skeeved out by how uh, amazingly they sort of glide over uh, Thanos's. The idea of Thanos as a villain, like, I understand they play a lot of the, oh, he's the hero in his mind kind of thing. But because of the time shenanigans in Endgame, when they face Thanos again, because it is a different Thanos, like, it's an earlier Thanos and there's no real progress. Arguably, it's the same guy, but weirdly feels different. Like, it's... Mm -hmm. It's a it's a it's a weird it's a very weird experience, you know. Um, yeah. It it's and again, there's ways in which because of the tension, because of the stakes, because they had the chutzpah of ending the first movie the way they did, there's a lot of drama and tension that is there that sort of makes you, I guess, forget about it, but. I, I'm fascinated, like, uh, Avengers Endgame to me was a movie I really enjoyed, but the inev- the classic, like, the more you think about it, the more it falls apart movie, like, I don't think that there's any movie that I've met that hits that kind of terrifying level that Avengers Endgame does, where it's like, like, it, you either have to write it off as a, oh, they were just trying to make something for effect and make a good time for you, which is certainly possible, or it's really got a fucked up worldview that is kind of um, uh, deeply disquieting, at least to me, you know? Uh, and and yeah. what it, you know, I, I work in nerd media, Jeff. Right. And one of the things that's been really interesting this week is seeing like, you know, second week stories of Endgame. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, when it's coming up to it, there's all the speculation of what is Endgame going to do? What right. happens in Endgame? And then, like, it comes out and there's the immediately the, what does this mean? Right. And then you hit the wave of the filmmakers talk about what it means. Right. Right. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but the writers and the directors have a very different idea of what's how what Steve's ending actually is. Oh, interesting. Because I had read the very long uh, talk with Dave Itzkoff that he had with the two screenwriters that ran in the New York Times. I didn't see the one and they the and they reject the idea that Steve is an in an altered timeline. They say like pretty explicitly, no, that's not what happens. Steve comes back and grows old in our timeline. Right. No, right. Exactly. Yeah. And right. then you can see a director with the Russos. Well, they're like, no, Steve is obviously in a different timeline. Because that's how time travel works. Like, anyone who says that he's in our timeline is wrong. And you're like, they've not thought any of this through. Right. Well... They, they, they've, they've just not. Like, that's not something that they they uh, they intended to do. They 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 thought about it for, for whatever fucking reason. Right. Right. Well, you know, and, and yeah. So, right. the idea that they did just... 
like they are doing it for effect, mm-hmm. for, for better putting it, I think is, is 100% true. Yeah, no, I think, I think that ultimately does end up being the case. And essentially, Endgame is fascinating to me as a cracked mirror uh, that reflects sort of my own anxieties back at me and or can be seen as sort of reflecting the culture's own anxieties back at it precisely because of, you know, it's trying to, it's so focused on what it's saying that the other things that slip through are kind of an amalgam of, uh, you know, essentially very complicated cultural Freudian slips, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I, so I mean, it's, it's, I'm kind of like, but that makes no sense. If Steve was in an alternate timeline, how the hell would he appear old right there after he disappeared? Okay, but, but, so here's the thing. Uh-huh. For the Russos, they pretty much outright said, there's an entire story that we've not told you, and it's all intentional. Mm-hmm. They were like, they, they lampshaded it. They were like, yeah, how did he travel across reality? Isn't that really interesting? Hmm, maybe there's something we're not telling you. Mm-hmm. And then you see the writers going, no, he like he has to have done it here, right? Yeah. Because like, how else could he do it? Which you know, again, is one of those things where you're like, you guys just haven't fucking thought this through, right? Right. So, uh, oh, I should also mention because you mentioned uh, Meg's article, which I I don't think that I did read. We mentioned Amy's article. There was the really amazing article uh, that was very depressing to read about. Chris Holmesworth's, um, you know, app center and the role that Fat Thor plays related to to Hemsworth's uh, fitness app that he has. And, oh, I I I know nothing about this, Jeff. Depress me. Tell me about it and depress me. Uh, gosh, I you know it's that classic. I read it a few days ago, and I think I'll I'll do a poor job summarizing it, but. The person starts by talking, of course, about how bad the fat suit is, um, you know, and 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 this is funny. The fact that I made it to Avengers Endgame uh, unspoiled, apart from literally I knew one character got fat and there, there were fat jokes. And that's about all that I managed to make it through. To be fair, that's actually really good. Yeah, no, like, I think that's great. That's all you yeah. get spoiled in the film. Yep. That's actually really good. No, I, I was relieved. Interestingly enough, the screening that I saw it at, packed audience, we had a fucked up um, sound balance, so the dialogue was really soft. So the theater was dead quiet because everyone had to strain to hear, and everyone was quiet except for the two three-year-old kids that this this these two people brought from their family. This family brought their two three-year-old kids who could not have cared less about the movie or about being quiet and we're just like one of them was like fill up fill up fill up fill up yeah exactly it does seem fair because it was tuned down so low there were some jokes that that didn't um land just literally because there's no you hear them there's no joke well that literally happened with when when uh renee russo says to chris hemsworth like eat a salad you know, like I totally miss what she whispered to him, you know, mm-hmm. and but there were other things where I don't know how to describe it. It's that classic. We couldn't get the momentum going like people weren't laughing in part because people really didn't want to make noise over the line. So we were kind of 
the movie still had a few great moments where people were clearly drawn in, but despite it being a full house of Marvel fans, we were like a weirdly subdued audience apart from, of course, the two kids. Uh, so the medium piece was called the center of controversy uh, by Kevin Bay. And one of the things that they say is I'm going to jump down to basically the second half and I'm going to read for it just a little bit. Um, uh, it's sort of, Uh, talking about Fat Thor, talking about the joke and blah, blah, blah. Uh, This would not be the first time someone has tried to make Thor fat in the MCU. Uh, Taika Watiti, the director of Thor Ragnarok, commented that he'd wanted to include a scene in Ragnarok with a chubby child Thor with a mullet that hadn't made it into the movie. However, that past impulse aside, which I think is kind of a big thing to sweep aside, the timing of a fat Thor in Avengers Endgame feels suspect. In January of 2019, Chris Hemsworth launched his app Center, a diet workout slash lifestyle app that includes branding on the website like blog posts titled The Thor Arm Workout. In a 2019 interview with Men's Health, Hemsworth said that the app took about two years to make. Hemsworth also, it seems, had a hand in shaping Thor's fat suit. While it's difficult to ascertain who precisely had responsibility for the impetus to put Thor in a fat suit, according to USA Today, Infinity War and Endgame writers Steve McFeely and Chris Marcus said on the premiere red carpet that collaborating with Hemsworth was instrumental in redefining Thor. This would have been after Thor Ragnarok had finished filming in late 2016, which also lines up with Hemsworth's timeline for the start of the fitness app. Um... We changed a few scenes early on because Hemsworth had just done Thor Ragnarok and was concerned, said McFeely. He was like, listen, guys, I've been in Australia and we're doing crazy stuff. Uh, Hemsworth played coy at the Avengers Endgame premiere, was clear that he, but was clear that he had a hand in shaping the character's narrative. And Center hasn't been shy about capitalizing an Endgame in particular. Tori Washington... Uh, Hemsworth's vegan trainer who appears in videos on Center posted on Facebook, uh, this part of my journey has been so eventful and I'm beyond grateful to be working with the god of thunder, Chris Hemsworth. Congratulations on Endgame. I don't think Thanos is ready for what Center and the Avengers are bringing. Uh, On Twitter at CenterFit, the Center app regularly references Thor and Avengers, sometimes cheekily as when they shared an article touting that the app that would get one fit like Thor in Avengers Endgame with a winking emoji, prompting some users to jokingly say that they already have Thor's Endgame body and they want his Ragnarok body instead, drawing an instant parallel between two bodies of before and after narrative. Often Thor is referenced more generally with lines like before Chris wields the hammer and mention of, mentions of his acting career featuring regularly. In a way, In this way, Endgame's Fat Thor functions as a clever piece of advertising. People tell me Thor's storyline is about trauma, but I don't think that's it at all. I think that Hemsworth may answer what Thor's theme is about best when talking about the ideology between Center in this Men's Health interview. The whole thing was about not becoming stagnant. That's when your emotional and physical problems occur, I think. I wanted to create something that embodied the three main elements of healthy living, the movement, the nutrition, and the mindfulness, and present it in a way that's entertaining, functional, and also accessible. 
Consider Thor's storyline from this angle, considering how he starts in the stagnant spot of King of Asgard and how he breaks out of that as new member of the Guardians of the Galaxy by the end. Consider how Rocket, when we first see Thor, says that he's failed and that's why he's upset. Consider Thor's mother saying he can't be who he's supposed to be. He should be who he is instead. Then remember to tell him. Then remember her telling him to eat a salad again. Because, God, I hate this fucking movie. Thor's storyline is about failure and stagnation manifesting on the body, and Thor's fat suit remind, exists to remind us of Chris Hemsworth's body beneath it. So, I thought that that was a really intriguing and, again, kind of depressing point. Considering... It is. Like, it's, it's just, like knowing about that, I'm kind of like, oh. I know. Okay, then. So I much for about, the like, best part of the movie. Reason. Yeah. Well, did you like the fat suit part? Because I was, I was gonna say like, I, I didn't like the fat suit part in part because you get the joke at the start, like, oh, Thor's let himself go, right? And then you just continually get variations in that joke, yeah. And it's, it's like, we get it, you guys, right? We've got it. Um, I'm I'm a fan of wacky Thor and comedic Thor, so I think some of the stuff like him sort of trying to sneak off to get the wine or whatever, I thought that all worked. Fat suits, I am ideologically opposed to. Like I remember friends years ago talking about the you know I'm sure you remember because we were all on social media. The fat suit is the new blackface. Um, idea that was espoused uh and i and i think that there is i think there's a lot to that idea i also thought that the fat suit was really poorly done like i don't know why that should be a thing i'm like you know it's the classic like oh in such small portions like but i thought the makeup in avengers endgame was really weird uh in lots of ways like i have yeah. no idea why chris evans had to look as strangely unnatural as he did, but he, you know, as Amy pointed out, he had some weird, uh, uncanny Valley stuff going on. So, mm -hmm. um, but I just felt that way for a lot of the characters. They just with weirdly, like, I feel like if you're getting to a point where like Robert Downey Jr. is the most naturalistic looking person in your movie, something has gone horribly, horribly wrong, you know? <laughs> Um, so I just thought everyone's was, everyone's makeup was just genuinely god awful terrible in, in that movie. But for whatever reason, the fat suit in particular, I was like, that looks like it was kind of like you guys couldn't make more of an effort. Like, let the oh, guy yeah, it's, it's, it's like, actually unconvincing is yeah, the other thing. Right. Yeah. And I, and, and that actually makes a little more sense for me after reading this article, you know, it was kind of like, ah, fuck. Right. Of course. Like it's, it's almost more important that it be that the idea that that is fake is underlined because it, the, the idea of fat people not being authentic, you know, that not being an authentic body, that's only a body that arises under bad conditions is, under your head, yeah. yeah, is, is, you know, is a terrible narrative, but is a narrative that exists in our culture. And it's, it's. It's really a bummer seeing how much that story where I was, again, in that weird, like, oh, they don't know what they're doing, so it's okay. But then when you're like, oh, you know what he's doing? Oh, that's really fucking not okay. So, uh, 
you know, all of this said, I really enjoyed the movie. Want to see it again? But so, okay, I'm curious. Why do you want to see it again? I want to see it again because I I really did enjoy the movie, and I I thought it was in a weird way. I feel like I didn't catch all of it. Mm-hmm. We'll see. That's it. I feel the same way. I mean, the thing is, is because the dialogue volume was fucked up. I have arguably a better basis, but I think even if I'd seen it under perfect conditions, I'd be like, oh, I would want to see that again because I think because there's a there's there there is a weird feeling when you walk out of that movie of it feels bigger than it is even though you feel like you're pretty goddamn sure you saw everything i mean that being said i totally missed jim starlin's cameo i did not realize yeah i totally i i also have totally missed it when is it he's one of the guys in the support group it's you know yes it's like joe all i remember about the support group is chris evans and joe russo doing like the most horrendous look diversity thing in the fucking planet wasn't that weird like that was such a strange strange victory lap they've given themselves for that yeah is like really leaves a bad taste in my mouth Mm. i'm glad to be like like you know we are we think it's very important that we have diversity in the marvel universe that's why in our 22nd movie we have our first openly gay character and it's a man talking about how he went on a date and cried on it Mm-hmm. And he's played by the fucking director of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's I mean, I think the weird the weird part is, and this is not um I mean, the strange part is because it's kind of all guys and because of Jim Starlin, who as I recall is looking pretty gaunt, I was like like it to me, what I thought was strange was the weird way in which I'm like, okay, so Steve is openly out and gay now. Like I honestly thought that that was where they were kind of going with it. Like, oh, he realizes that he's lost the person, but of course not. No, a million times, of course not, because, and I think that is the the other side of the the problem with the MCU is ultimately it's it's made. It's made by it's made by white guys. It's made by straight white guys, or at the very least, it's made with the intention of being consumed by a straight white audience. And so, therefore, there's a a lot of a lot of the quirkiness that seems like it's always kind of weirdly about to bubble up in the Marvel universe. Um, mm-hmm. Always just exists at this strange world of like you can all but reach out and touch it subtext and it's you know and yet there's always this weird denial of like no 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 the only thing he cares about is getting getting back together with peggy you know and it's it's like okay whatever you know i mean ultimately however they want to play it that's you know it you know there's kind of again it's like well yeah sure of course and i think that's the weird part about endgame is as much as I enjoyed it, the weird, well, sure, but of course thing is is a little bit of, uh, well, what did we really expect? Yeah, and, and I, again, this is one of the reasons why I think that I enjoyed it to the extent I did. Because I didn't expect anything other than any of this. So for me, it's like they did all that better than I expected, and I had a good time. Right. 
And again, do you know what I mean? Like, right. I, I think there's, I think that I, 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 maybe I'm explaining it the wrong way by saying like I went in with lowered expectations. Right. But I think the fact that I didn't expect a surprise, mm-hmm. and I was surprised by how much fun I had, is what makes me like the film to the extent that I do. Sure, and I, and like I said, I kind of feel like that is precisely the way that whether we know it or not, we t- we go into these Marvel movies, even when we are saying the like, no, no, no. Like for me, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't think that I'm enough of a film snob that I think that there's an, anything inherently unmovie ish about a Marvel unit, about a Marvel movie, except by the time I, except see, because Endgame is such the, um, looking at a Marvel a Marvel movie that's big enough that you can more or less examine its pores um and kind of being like or maybe there maybe there is a weird thing in which I don't expect you know a real quote unquote movie but how do I put well, it but like what, there's a right but, exactly uh, like what's a real movie no yeah, I exactly. go yeah 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 because no, exactly. what is so different about a Marvel movie than you know any other blockbuster movie well no I, right I, I, I will I will uh, except like a distinction between you know different types of movies and that blockbuster movies have a certain artificiality to them sure you or, know right or but genre, like genre movies like yes. yeah back but when people different... went to westerns or mm-hmm. no i don't know i think you're right i don't think that there is a weird like you like, know like the end game is no less of a movie than you know what the fuck like back to the future well or even or... before you go to the 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 launch of the summer blockbusters with jaws and star wars the the fact is everyone likes to pretend like it was all everyone's yeah, everyone flocking to, to see that, like literally star wars started out and he's like go back to you know the westerns go back to the fucking movie serials of the you know right where everything's in black and white yeah, you know completely completely as someone who loved Flash Gordon is someone who loved the giant monster movies of, you know, something something that's great, like a great mo- Them, which is like just one of the best giant ant movies. I mean, it's just a really enjoyable, good, strong film. But there's plenty of stuff there that you just go to and enjoy and you don't have to expect much from. And the idea that, you know, I sort of fall into that trap of pretending like... Like eight, you know, like Sturgeon's Law, that eighty percent of everything or ninety percent of everything wasn't always crap, you know. And and I and and Avengers is in fact is is a is well made, um, you know, an an entertaining, well made summer popcorn flick. And yeah, there and there again, there's no real shame with that, except again, there is a weird. Maybe because the stakes were lower, but if you watch something like The Golden Voyage of Sinbad or something like that, Jason and the Argonauts, uh, there's no, there's, there's not, there's no real contradiction there because it's not playing with any, any larger issues. You know, mm-hmm. and again, there's that strange way that that the superhero movies, like today's superhero comics, always have to be kind of they have to pretend they're saying something exactly, goosing you with the idea that this is relevant to to today's world, if only because you know 
it makes it easier for the New York Times movie reviewers or the people who are writing the puff pieces for, for Vanity Fair to to feel like it's really about something. And no, 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 it's okay to write about, do profiles about these people because we're really, they're doing something unprecedented, you know, when in fact it's the same same old thing. It's just in the way that we roll now in 2019, which is to say overwrought, I guess. So, uh, but yes, I'd like to go to Avengers Endgame to, to actually hear the dialogue. I would kind of like, I mean, what I thought was interesting is the part in Aquaman that I loved, which was the big underwater sea battle that has kind of a long tracking shot through it has that with the Marvel characters, like when they come back, like honestly, when uh giant man punches that enormous fucking space slug thing, mm -hmm. like I entered Nirvana for a moment. Like that was, <laughs> it really did. I was like, yes, that really had that like, Oh my God, that's what I've always wanted to see without even knowing it kind of moment. So okay, at some point I will see uh, if I can even find the link now while we're talking. I'm going to uh, send you this Patrick Willems uh, video essay about the Marvel movies. Okay, because I think that there's things that you would maybe not even agree with, mm -hmm. but but would be interested, like find interesting. Put yes. it that way. Okay, that I would respond you know? to. Maybe that's a yeah. good way to put yeah. it. Uh, so, so yeah, so that, those, I think are the majority of my thoughts. I don't know if most of them are coherent, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a surprisingly chewy, uh, thing to think about in that way. But again, in more of a weird, like, wow, America's deeply fucked up kind of way, which is not what I was expecting when I went in. So congratulations, you got something for free. <laughs> It's true. It was like a bonus. Graham McMillan, what else did you want to talk about? I chowed up such a ridiculous amount of time for people who are like, oh, great. This is, if I don't want to end game spoilers, uh, congratulations. It's our first 20 minute podcast. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> um, I finally got around to reading a bunch of stuff that uh, has been in my to-do list, in my digital to-do list for a while. Mm. Uh, and specifically, and I think you've, you've mentioned this before, uh, Dan White's Cindy and Biscuits. Yes. Cindy and Biscuit Boots, which I just, like I've read, I read the earlier ones before. This was me reading the Bad Girl Two-Parter in the Sundays collection. Mm -hmm. And I love them. And I keep forgetting that I love them. And then I reread them and I'm like, I love these. I, I they're They're so charming and so skillful in the way that they mm, sort of simultaneously correctly deliver the uh, combination of uh, sort of like pure joy and also terror uh -huh. of being a kid and kid-like imagination. Mm. Um, like I was thinking, I, I read, I was reading them and I was like, this feels like it is um hilda the the luke pearson comics mm. and netflix series mm -hmm. um directed by david lynch you know it, wow. it 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 feels like you know there's there's something about that there mm -hmm. that that uh that is great and it also made me go someone should option cindy and biscuit you, you know like why is cindy and biscuit mm -hmm. 
why why aren't people first of all why aren't people just doing more with Cindy and Biscuit like why aren't more people reading it why aren't more people talking about it right and I understand that like you know he, he they're, they're like annual releases and I don't even think he's put anything out for the last two years mm-hmm. um but they're just really really good they're they're wonderful sort of slice of life is not right at all because they are very much about like she's a little kid and biscuits are dog and they mm-hmm. fight monsters but there's something wonderfully grounded about that despite that like the bad girl to parker you've read like i'm not going to spoil anything by saying this i have right i have not you haven't no. oh jeff there's this there's a wonderful bit where in the second part there is essentially like a a, a very quick like origin mm-hmm. sort of folded in and there's something about the origin sequence that just feels wonderfully right in a couple of ways. One about night terrors when you're a kid, mm-hmm. and and the way that they they're like really desperately important when they're happening, and also you get over them very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also about the 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 speed with which when you're a kid you you make allegiances. Mm. You know, so young Cindy meets young Biscuit, and it's just like, okay, it's you and me, we're a team. Mm-hmm. Because of course we are. And it was just like both those things rang really true for me. Mm-hmm. And it's in the middle of this this story that is, you know, very fantastic and, and fantastic in such a way that, like, there's no explanation. It's very much like, you know, this is happening and it is fantastic and you have to buy it because mm-hmm. I'm not going to explain it. Um, and I just, I love it. I love these comics so, so much. Um, that it was weirdly um, recharging mm-hmm. to read them. Like I really, I came away from being like, I fucking love comics. <laughs> like I, I really did. Like, it, there's things you read where you come away and you're just like, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that delivered on every level that I could have hoped for. And I, I'm, I'm buzzing with excitement about it. Uh-huh. Um, and so yeah, so there, there's, uh, I was reading. Uh, Cindy and Biscuit, Bad Girl, Issues 1 and 2, and Cindy and Biscuit, Sundays, which is a collection of like one and two page shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both available on his website, which I can't remember offhand. And I'm sure Jeff is going to... Ah, Graham. Yes, I'll look gonna, it up. Yes, yes. I'm going to do it right now so we can have it in the podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, milkthecat.wordpress.com that's milkthecat.wordpress.com <laughs> um, yeah there, there's a there's a shop there and you can get I think it's she's just got print versions as I read it digitally um, but yeah it's really great like it's good stuff it's mm-hmm. it's really really great stuff that, that people should read and should discover and it's it makes me sad that like this is honestly like the second or third time that i've read cindy and biscuit and i forget about it in between but every time i've read it, i've always been like these are just fucking great comics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know more people should be talking about them and then i forget about them as well mm. uh, but no I, it, it i was very much like more people should read this more people should should fall in love with this uh and and honestly why haven't Netflix gone after this? Right. Why hasn't Who gone after this? Why hasn't someone... Because if nothing else, the hook of she's a young girl, he's her dog, they fight monsters. Mm-hmm. Just feels 
right. like fully formed. Yes. You know, never mind the the tone that that, that Dan brings to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like it it feels ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so yeah, I read that. I also read Oddcock's. Um, oh god, I'm gonna have to look up the name of the the PDF. Um, it is called "If You Wander in the Badlands." Mm. Uh, subtitle: A Guide for Weary Travelers. Um, Odd is a Portland uh, creator. Mm-hmm. Um, you may or may not remember they were supposed to draw uh, the Chelsea Kane division, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and and didn't <laughs> because that went away. Their arts also appeared in at least a couple of the issues of, or maybe just one issue of of Al Ewing's Ultimates. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I remember. Very, a very particular art style, mm-hmm. like a very individual art style. And this is a book that they did. And it, it's really short. It's maybe 19 pages. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the wild, the wildlands, sorry, the badlands as a, a metaphor for depression mm-hmm. and a series of essentially like two page verses mm-hmm. that start with, uh, if you wander in the badlands and then like something you need to remember, something you need to, carry with you something you need to to do in order to survive mm. um and i i like the use of verse is very purposeful like it's, it is a very poetic book but even for people who don't like enter into the the poetry of that mm-hmm. and you can buy this and ignore the words mm. because the artwork is i mean just stunning mm. they're really really amazing amazing stuff um the the closest i came to it in terms of trying to describe it is you're familiar with christian ward stuff right uh yes did um odyssey he did black bolt with with southern amid mm-hmm. uh, it's similar to that mm-hmm. but think of that in a much crisper black and white sense mm-hmm. um it's just beautiful i mean it's it's honestly just beautiful um and it's funny, I read it a day for release because Odd said on Twitter, does anyone want to proofread this book for me? <laughs> and I was like, sure, me. Okay. That's great. And they sent it to me. And I, I wrote back and I was like, I I have no proofreading notes, but like this is just fucking gorgeous. Mm. <laughs> like I have no proofreading notes, but this is beautiful. The end. Right. I, I really did love it. It's, it's available on Gumroad as a PDF. Mm. Um, I will... I'm I'm literally emailing you. Um, I will email you right now with a uh, link to it, Jeff, so you can put it in the show notes as That'd well. Be fabulous. But like the combination of those two things, uh, and then on Twitter today, I found a new illustrator who is doing a book for Nobrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone called Molly Mendoza, mm-hmm. and I'll send you a link to her website as well, Jeff, because it's it. I found this artwork and I was like, well. My mind is blown. This, this, <laughs> I mean, really, the artwork is is stunning. Mm. The use of color is breathtaking to me, mm. um, and the idea that that she's doing comics it, like I'd, I'd honestly never heard of her, mm. and Nobrow retweeted her, going, "I'm really excited about my book coming out from Nobrow," and I was like, "Well, that's a lovely cover," and clicked through to her website and was just like floored. Wow. It's the combination of of her. Of, of odds uh, of Dan White stuff, like I, this all happened in the space of like three days, 
and I really came away with being like, comics are fucking great. <laughs> like it's available, and and you know all this stuff that's there is is just wonderful, and mm-hmm. it's it's yeah, I, I'm I was thrilled by all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm super happy. That's great. I think it's much of me being like, I read Year of the Villain, which I did as well. But yes, I did as well too. Uh, and and I'm like, oh, uh, like so. Let's talk about that. No, I can talk about other stuff that I've read or not. But uh, yeah, You're the Villain uh, was an interesting read. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> so I, that, I take it that means you didn't like it. I, you know, honestly, I, I was I was mostly down with it. Um, the you know the thing that what did I read? Well, I got it digitally, so I don't know if that necessarily makes a difference. But it's got the. Justice League thing, the Bendis Maleev thing, and then sort of back then to the second ju- Justice League thing. Yeah, Justice yeah. League thing with by uh, I think uh, Tyrion, um, maybe. Yeah, and... it's it's Snyder and Jim Chung for the first one, and then it's James Tynan and uh, Francis Manipal for the last one. Right. So, and then they followed it up with my version had the preview of. Uh, the final Batman story last night on Earth, but oh, did it? The, yeah. the print version does. Oh, okay. Which makes sense because weirdly enough, the uh, the the year of the villain, the digital version has it, but leaves the last page off, which seems really weird and dumb. So it's got this whole thing of like Alfred being, no, I brought your cowl. And then suddenly it's like a one-page interview with Scott Snyder being like, "So what were you thinking?" So, so wait, the, the, the digital, does the digital version also have like all the text pieces at the back of the print version? Um, let's see here. That's a good question. Let's let me break this because there's open. like five pages of of text at the back of the print version. Um, yeah, I know, but Grandma, I'm I'm rapidly getting to the point where I can't read. Uh, let's see. Hold on. Of course, it's taking forever to load because I've got so many stupid comics on this app. Load, please. Load. This is so funny. Like, I was like, oh, I know. I'll make sure that things go more quickly this time. I'll just take screenshots of all the comics that I've read so I can quickly refer to them rather than do this stuff. Okay. So it's Year of the Villain. Year of the Villain contents page. Uh, the Superman Leviathan Rising 80-page over, oversized special advertisement in my comic book where I'm like, Ugh, where it's clearly Bendis launching his Superverse stuff because there's Fraction and Rucka and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. everyone on it. So, yes, Jim Chung, uh, Alex Maleev, uh, Francis Manipal. Wow, that was that. That's that Brian Bendis thing. That was that was pretty short. It seemed like. Oh, anyway, okay. So, uh, stay on target, Francis Manipal. Then we have Year of the Villain. The event continues in yes, and then there should be like another seven pages of text. Oh yeah, after that. exactly. Bad by Design. Twenty nineteen marks the year of the villain. The Force of July, the year of the villain. Yeah, I saw what you did there, the Force of July. Uh, the year of the villain. Yeah, but you didn't see the, the double version of that. Uh, what do you mean? The Force of July is the name of an old DC super villain team. Yeah, that's what, sorry, that's what I meant. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because remember I got high and read those DC, Batman and yep. Outsider stuff. And it was like, 
No Laughing Matter with the Batman Who Laughs and his mysterious plan. The Lex Flex. Wow, I just ignored all this stuff. So then they get to Last Night on Earth, the double page spread of the cover or whatever. And then it gets to the first six pages and then they cut the seventh and then have the the interview with Snyder about Last Night on Earth, which... Like at, in true Scott Snyder fashion is absolutely unimpeachable, you know? So, um, cause it's very much him. It's really, it's kind of stunning. Cause I, you know, you've read these things, God bless them. Whoever's writing most of the DC nation interview promo interview stuff. It's incredibly like, softball actually overstates the case, you know, but even some of the questions are like, what is the movie Shazam about? What was interesting to you about playing Billy Batson? You know, that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, you get Scott Snyder being this, like, what is last night on earth about? And he talks about encountering Grant Morrison at, Mm -hmm. uh, Comic-Con and being a mess. And here's the thing. Yeah. Having done interviews with Scott, mm-hmm. I love that. I do too. I love that. Yeah. that like you could, you could literally like have a Scott Snyder interview where if he's in, like if he's if he's down for it, if he's if he's in a good mood, right. you literally could be like, you know, I read Justice League, and he'd be like, oh my god, wait, do you know what happens? And he would just tell you. That's amazing. Well, right. So I get that. I I do get the fact of like it comes across in that interview. So I actually really, I was like. Huh, I think weirdly this one little one page interview arguably sold me more despite it, you know, kind of like knowing eighty percent of it already without having to pay much attention, but that that twenty percent part was really fascinating. So yeah. We'll that, that first issue, Jeff, of, of the, the Last Night on Earth is is a thing. Yeah. It's, it yeah. I bet it's really genuinely is like I mean what is in the, what is in the preview? Uh the preview looks like it's the first 5 or 6 pages, maybe not the first 5 or 6, but it is uh Bruce Wayne in Arkham Asylum where he is apparently hallucinated being Batman after, you know, having a basically shooting his own parents and the doctor looks suspiciously like the Joker and Alfred has shown up and is trying to, you know, tell him like, no, look, you're completely fucked up. And, and Bruce is like, but then why do I speak four languages? Why do I know how to fight? You know? And they're like, I've told you this before, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's as someone who has enjoyed episodes of Batman, the animated series, it's not necessarily new ground that's being trod over in the first six pages, but you know, but I like Snyder and Capullo's Batman Can I, stuff. can I, I'm not spoiling anything by saying. It goes to very different places from that. Yes, yes. It goes very different places also very quickly after that scene. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it because of course the way they describe it, you know, it's, it's the, it, the wraparound before you get to those pages is, you know, Batman carrying the Joker's head in, you know, what looks like a lantern. So, you know, it's it's clearly going to be much stranger. So, which is yes. fine, which is fine. You know, I thought it was really amusing that he was kind of like, oh, this is the trope I'm opening with that I'm going to undoubtedly explode. But it was to me weird that it would just drop a page. Anyway, that is for people who are like, gee, what's on every page of Year of the Villain? Now you sort of maybe know, at least where the promo material is concerned. 
I, I, I am, uh, I, so I, I think I told you I, I did an interview with, with um, Scott Snyder and James Snyder for that, for mm-hmm. that issue um, for THR. And they sent me, quote unquote, the Scott Snyder, James Snyder uh, pages, mm-hmm. but they didn't. They only sent me the the Snyder Chung pages, mm. and that issue reads a lot differently when you realize there's a second part that basically undoes the cliffhanger of the first part. Yes, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. so it's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was also very funny because we did that interview, and also I did not refer to the comic at all. <laughs> <laughs> in, actually in large part because I was like I don't like I think I, I, I don't know why I was like I think there's something more mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I was not like I was not going to be like so I almost set up a spoiler this comic actually only came out like four days ago so maybe I won't spoil it but um, you know the cliffhanger that happens in the end of part one huh that's a big deal and I'm glad I didn't seeing as by the end of the comic they'll be like oh you haven't read it because you, did, the, you get to part two yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I would have been like, there's a part two? They never told me. <laughs> Honestly, I think that would have been great. That sounds that sounds like a pretty damn enjoyable interview. Oh, there, there was there was one interview I did, I honestly can't remember what it was, where they hadn't sent me the book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm just going to fake it. And like, I was 100% off oh, to the point wow. where midway through the interview, they were like, you haven't read it. <laughs> God, Graham, and I was what like, a no. nightmare. I was like, no, they didn't send it to me. And he's like, okay, here's why. And explained to me what actually happened. And I was like, oh, I'm fucking 100% off. Wow. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Secrets behind the interviews, kids. Wow. Well, that's great. People quickly rush over to all of Graham's websites and try and figure out which interview it is. First one who correctly guesses it will get a prize. They will. Yeah. What's the price? I don't know. If you if you're willing to actually own up to which interview it is when called on it, I will I will actually oh, send them that, a prize. I mean, nice everyone for thinking that I'd remember. Maybe I would if someone was like, Is it this? and I'd read it and be like, Oh yeah, that's it. I, okay. I Yeah, I think Because I honestly it. don't remember right now. I just remember like the sheer embarrassment of being like, Yeah, I've not read it. I'm <laughs> impressed that you remember that sheer mortification, but I'm like and who was it? You're like, oh. I genuinely don't remember. <laughs> I, I 100% don't remember. I just remember like the moment. Because I, what I remember more than the moment of like, you know, I had not read it was like the realization that the interview was going really badly. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Of you course. know, it's like, fuck, fuck. Yeah. 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 That's never fun. Never fun indeed. Uh, like, your villain is, is uh, it's a like it's it's more than worth twenty five cents, which is what you pay for. Unless you get it digitally, in which case it's free. It's free. It's free. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously, uh, for original material or whatever, it was it was a good little it was a good little lead in. You know, I'm I'm very curious what they're going to do with the actual story. You know, yeah. Because as we were talking about last week, it is you know it's Millennium meets Underworld Unleashed. Yeah, yeah. Meets Hickman's Avengers in a way that I find a little uh, maybe maybe if it didn't feel so much like that. But there's that page where sort of like Batman's, you know, they're like, well, who do we call in? And he's like, we and call he's like everyone, everyone. And it's a double page spread. And it's supposed to be like an ah cool moment. And I just kind of had that thing like, yeah, this is not I don't know why this isn't working for me. 
know? what what's really funny is like I like I I've, I've caught up with all of the the Snyder Tynan Justice League stuff now, mm-hmm. um, and it's very Hickman's Avengers. I mean, mm-hmm. it's astonishingly Hickman's Avengers as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works for me more than the Hickman's Avengers does. And I honestly think it's just because I like the characters better. That that makes sense. I mean, you know, like you know, you have the you have the issue where it's the flashback to like here's the secret history of the of the DC multiverse. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I care about this shit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? No way that you know if you said here's the secret origin of the Marvel multiverse, I'd be like, eh, whatever. Right, right. You know, so, and it uh, really words, it really comes down to that. As you're saying, as more of a DC fan, it just is more of your jam. It just clicks. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm ju- I'm literally just like more in more interested. And right. there's all this stuff that. I mean, technically, shouldn't you know? Like it, uh, it is drastically rewriting the past of Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. I mean, substantially rewriting the past of Lex Luthor. Hmm. Uh, in a way that you know, I, I, some level of continuity nerd in me would should be like, but no. But like I said last last week, yes. I, that's kind of just been burned out. I'm like, okay, let's see what this version of Lex Luthor has yeah. to offer. Right, right. No, that is that is uh, that's kind of where the DCU is at, which is why it was weird for me to read the first issue of Deceased this week. Um, after reading the Apocalypse War stuff, uh, because in our discussion about sorry, the Dark Side War. Um, you know, because as you had pointed out, part of the secret hook of Deceased is it's kind of a zombie virus comic that is rooted in the new gods. And um, reading that was, it was fun, but it also kind of weirdly had moments of, but this doesn't, like, is this really <laughs> but, happening? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, and, it, and it's not. Right. Like, they're not going to turn all the DCU into into Zombieville. Well, no, no, I know, but I guess what I mean is is even more just the idea of it. It opens with a scene where they, you know, it starts literally with Superman breaking Darkseid's jaw, right? And they've just fought. They talk about this big invasion from Darkseid that the JLA have just fought off, and Darkseid kind of does his like that's fine. I'm leaving. I got what I wanted. And they're like, Oh, that's not a good sign. And of course he's kidnapped cyborg and there's a blah, blah, blah and the anti-life and the yakita yakita. But, uh, for me, there's kind of that weird, like, no, but I just read the dark side war and this isn't it. Like, you know, like there's just kind of right off the bat, it kind of opens from this weird sort of the problem that the DCU kind of has, which is, Taylor starts the story at the end of the big world epic event, which is a clever place to start it. But at the same time, it also has this thing of like, I don't remember that happening. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't yeah. happening in the universe, you know? So it it kind of is that weird world of um, the DCU is just a collection of alternate universes within its own main universe that everyone's insisting it's happening in, which again, normally is, was, I learned to appreciate when it was happening with Marvel back around the time of new X-Men and Ennis's Punisher or whatever. But for whatever reason, maybe because I'm not quite, I just, it, 
there's a weird suspension of disbelief that you've got to get your brain into. Like, I'm sort of like, is deceased ended up feeling like an Elseworlds story to me right off the bat for that. Yeah. And I, to be honest, I think it's meant to be an Elseworlds story. Well, which may, which may work for me in that case. Um, we'll just have to see. Whereas like, uh, female furies, which I've been, uh, had read the first two issues, missed the third issue. When the fourth issue came out this week, I'm like, Oh, right. I missed the third issue went. And so I read three and four back to back it was strange. Like the issue three and four is really where the book feels like it's lining itself up with the rest of new gods, the accepted new gods mythology, I guess continuity. Mm -hmm. Um, And those first two issues are much more of a, because they're so idiosyncratic. It's like, I don't know if this is really going to hook up with the rest of what we know at all in a way. Like if this had been a mini series where Scott free didn't show up at all, um, it would have been fine with me. I don't think that that would have been a problem in any way, you know? Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, at some point, uh, like weirdly enough, whereas like savage Avengers number one, which of course I did turn around and goddamn pick up, and, um, you know, just so that I could watch Conan and Wolverine fight for like 10 pages, uh, was really kind of a weird, like, you know, again, maybe it's just the, oh, this is the universe that resonates with me. But I was like, huh, yeah, okay. Like, you know, even though I'm kind of like, if you say so, but in a weird, like, but I'm on board kind of way, just because... Mm-hmm. Because Conan meets Wolverine is enjoyably dumb and fanboyish in a way that I'm like, wow, okay, this scratches the itch that, you know, clearly you have to be, probably have to be a certain level of Marvel fanboy to even have that itch, you know? So. Yeah. um, Did you read The Green Lantern issue seven? I am way behind on The Green Lantern. Are you? Um, Yeah, significantly so. Interesting. So no, I have not. Huh. Is that is that intentional or just kind of a weird? It's accidental... just. It's a weird accidental thing. Like it's literally, uh, I have a lot of things to read, and honestly, like it's, I am, I am so far behind. I want to say like I'm four months behind. Wow! It's the point where I'm like, yeah, I can just let it mm-hmm. sit for a while. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. No. Ab- absolutely. Uh. And I think, honestly, it might be a book that will, as sometimes happens with Morrison stuff, feel will feel much better read as a oneer. Because um, issue seven is uh, really and really kind of an oddball issue, but I eat, with the exception of maybe. Uh, the God issue, uh, issue three or whatever that was, I feel like most of Green Lantern I'm reading being like, well, that was very pretty art. And uh, how do I put it? Like that weird, like Grant Morrison is figuring out kind of a new way to do the same old thing with Green Lantern that's different, you know? Like it's just kind of like, you know. And, And I think that, that, you know, 
if you read it all in a wonder, it might feel like more of a, um, more of a, there's something there. I think, I think maybe just the through lines, which are very, very light, uh, will feel stronger. You know, I, I think that, I think that Morrison's a big fan of having the narrative slowly emerge, you know, from the individual issues. And you're like, Oh, it was there all along, just staring me in the face. But in a every 30 days sort of thing, I'm like, oh, that was pretty. And, you know, I'm glad that that was a thing that was a th- I'm glad that Grant Morrison can write those old back issues of heavy metal off on his taxes, you know, or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> hey, he was the editor in chief of heavy metal. For most. Maybe no. he still is. Maybe he still is. It was supposed to be a one year thing. So it would have really only ended somewhat pre- recently, I think. But, uh, yeah, comparatively. Um, I should mention that uh, I read a bunch of the – a bunch, like three or f- three of the weird old detective comics that ended up dropping this week on DC Universe. Um, mm-hmm. issue, issue 106, which I think actually probably dropped previously. Uh, issue 309 – Batman and Robin solve the mystery of the Mardi Gras murders, which I know only dropped this week. And issue 301, the condemned Batman, where Batman ends up getting, uh, is too close to an explosion and therefore begins emitting flames and can only breathe methane gas. So it's, you know, it's very much from the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams hard hitting era of detective comics. The 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 ultra realism, you know, detective comic stuff. And speaking of ultra realism, uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure uh, finally ended up on the Shonen Jump app for people who are subscribing. And holy moly, I had read the majority of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I guess Stardust Crusade, which is the third phase of the Jojo universe. And uh, I had picked up one of the collections from the very first part, uh, part one. Um, and oh my God, it is so much weirder than I had had any sense of. Like I read the first six chapters last night and it was such a, it's such weird, insane, over-the-top manga made back when, I mean, honestly, it's got to be the early 80s, late 70s, and it's um, it's absolutely insane. It's completely uh, an absolutely realistic rendering of what it was like to be a teenage boy in England at the turn of the 20th century was, uh, you know, uh, with another orphan who's adopted by your family, who's trying to destroy your life out on your palatial manor, as only a, a, a crazed Japanese manga creator can, can capture it. It's really something else. <laughs> really was. I was like, this is crazy ass shit. Um, I mentioned New Yankees, uh, which was really enjoyable, kind of slight. And... Um, I bought the first volume of Eoharu Machine Gun, uh, which was kind of a huge mistake for me. I think 
it from reading the description because like volume 14 or something had come out it w- looked like it was a um manga about gun nuts or maybe paint gun nuts and it turns out to be a manga about um bb gun like i don't know like basically i was right it's about paintball nuts but having read the first chapter of it i'm like uh i was kind of hoping that it would be that kind of like heavily researched um but still inherently insane uh manga that i love and the first chapter of it was very much like oh it's going to be a shits and giggles uh manga that's kind of got the you know meet cute couple who you know dislike each other but learn to love each other slash respect each other because they're both geniuses at the art of paintballing and i'm just like Ooh, I can't believe that I've read enough manga to know when, like, uh, I can read now read a manga and be like, "Wow, this feels like I don't 90% need to read any more of this." Exactly, exactly. Like, oh, Jeff, you only paid like two ninety nine or three ninety nine for this first volume, but you still are going to kick yourself for feeling like you wasted your money. Oh well, so. <laughs> Um, so yes, on the one hand, I did not read exactly the most life-giving and invigorating comics. One could actually argue that I read comics, uh, by varying degrees of talented creators (coughs) hacking it out. Um, but that being said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying like... Now that JoJo's on Shonen Jump and with DC Universe in full tilt, like my comic streaming services are kind of giving me this weird feeling. I'm still in this kind of happy zone of like, I have more comics at my fingertips than I can possibly read. Yeah, that I, that I can do anything with. Yeah, yeah. And so it's super substantial. And particularly because... This week was kind of the first week after DC DC Universe upped its collection, um, you know, to to bring it up to you know fighting snuff. That it was their first first week of like, okay, here's what came out twelve months ago, which I'm less interested in, and here's like thirty issues of Detective Comics and pre Wolfman Perez Teen Titans comics, you know, and I'm like, oh, good, they're still. They're good. Hopefully, they're going to keep keep coming with the with the with the Silver Age and the Bronze Age and the Weird Age comics. And I'm I really hope that that. In which case, I'm super delighted. So yeah, and I'd say DC Universe continues to be something that I just you know go back to on a, a, a an irregular basis, but has just been super enjoyable. Yeah, has has it remained something that is really nice to dip in and out of. Yeah, I I agree. It's and to the point where it's like, okay, I've really got to give Marvel uh, another chance. Yeah, because I I Marvel Limited, I very much kept like I said, I haven't tried reading as much of it on the fly, and it's a vastly different experience when you just see something in DC, in the DC Universe thing where I'm like, oh right, I'll just click on that now and read that now and just kind of dip around, whereas. Uh, you know the the op- downloading for offline use made 
Marvel Unlimited much more of a targeted um, experience. And I don't think that that's how I have the most fun reading comics digitally right now. So, Mm -hmm. which is strange. So uh, I, I will say this: this yes. was actually the first week where I had problems with the Marvel Unlimited, uh, the DC Universe app, in terms of it crapping out on me. You know, I had, I had, I had. Um, I think I told you if you leave the app and come back, it will kind of screw up the if you're mid comic. But this is the first week where I actually had um, a few books just freeze on me, where all of a sudden everything was unresponsive. And I just had to force close and reboot. What what kind of problems were you having? That or this, yeah, exactly that. Mm-hmm. I'd have books just one hundred percent like the, a page would not appear, mm. and then I wouldn't be able to like go to another page. Mm. I'd just be stuck on the, the page that that was perpetually loading. Yeah, I I weirdly had the page would load, and then it would just be like it was like it was frozen. I could close the app and go out and do uh, open other things so didn't totally lock up my tablet but weird weird i hope that they get that little bug worked out so um because uh because yeah papa papa likes being able to be a mindless consumer of mindless entertainment that's papa have you discovered anything else new that is wonderful in dc um, well, like I, I'm super happy that they dropped those weird issues of detective comics that has made me really happy. You had pointed out last week that, uh, you know, the, the wonder woman bench, uh, is surprisingly deep from their fifties and sixties stuff, <clears throat> which I haven't actually read. Um, so no, I think, I think it's mostly like, oh, I'm keeping an eye, an eye on stuff, but this week with Endgame and some other stuff was just busy enough that I didn't really have what I wanted, which was an evening to just kind of sit there and and browse around and poke something. You, it looks like according to the Tumblr, you'd actually come across some, revisited some old or relatively recent old weird stuff, right? Yeah, Countdown to Adventure, mm. I actually read this week. Uh, countdown to Adventure is the weird thing. So it was theoretically a countdown to Final Crisis spinoff, mm. but it's not. It's a it's a fifty two spinoff. Wow. It's it's Adam Strange and Starfire and Animal Man dealing with Lady Six, mm. which is like the 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 alien virus woman for fifty two. Mm. And so I read all that, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it, well. I mean, it really is like it, it. It's not doing anything you wouldn't expect it to do, but it does it inoffensively. But what I discovered is that then leads into like years worth of Jim Starlin comics. Really? Yeah, Jim Starlin then did like Ram Thanagar series and like oh, Hawkman right. thing. Yeah, and that strange thing, mm-hmm. uh, and and like something else. He did like a Captain Comet series that wasn't called Captain Comet, but all based around Lady Sticks. Like there has been, wow. and I just apparently did not pay attention. Like an entire year, like years worth of an entire continuity Jeez. based around this fifty-two character. Wow. Huh. That's yeah. Right. So kind it, of that, amazing. That was, right. Yeah. Which is that is one of the the new uh, quote unquote joys of of DC Universe for me mm-hmm. is like discovering these things that I had honestly utterly forgotten right like i didn't even remember lady six at all never mind that you know 
it was a, a part of 52. Oh, that's so funny. So, yeah. And then being like, oh, wait, shit, that's like a, that's like a whole thing. Right. <laughs> it's not just a small thing. It's like years worth of comics. Summer Chad Nevitt is like, of course, it's their own Jim Sterling comics. I've read them 72 <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it, it just, and, and the exciting thing is like, now I can read them without spending any money on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, what's weird is uh, it doesn't look like they have all of Jack Kirby's run on the demon. How weird is that? There, there's some honestly very strange gaps in there. Yeah, I just it still there are still some. You know, for all there, we've got everything up. No, you don't. Like you clearly don't. There's some genuinely strange gaps still in there. Yeah, yeah, completely. Well, it is. It is At one of those some things. Yeah. One on Twitter, and I. I will not be able to find this again. Mm-hmm. Um, someone on Twitter literally did a comparison of everything that's available in Comixology versus everything that's in DC Universe. Ooh. And like she created a spreadsheet. Oh my God. That sounds like something that Matt Turrell would have done. So it's kind of amazing that it wasn't, unless it was, of course. Um, wow. Holy crap. That's fascinating. I would um, love to I, see that. I wish I'd bookmarked it. I wish I'd, I'd, I'd actually like really noted it. Um, because well, it was it was some interesting stuff because a lot of it was like you know it's it's not within the twelve month window, mm-hmm. but there's also stuff that's just like you know who knows maybe, like maybe it just sells too well and it falls under there we don't want to piss off retailers like but there there are some odd gaps in there yeah maybe I mean maybe I I definitely feel like I don't know I I feel like uh, my you know, my hope is it'll show I, up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what's fascinating on there? Mm-hmm. Um, so they revived New Gods in the 70s and it's Conway. And he gets all the way up to the last issue of his run and they cancel the book. And the last issue of his run is told in a truncated form in an issue of Adventure Comics. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And it's first of the dollar comic issues of Adventure Comics. And it's uh, Wonder Woman, Flash, uh, maybe Green Lantern, and New Gods and something else. Yeah, I think I read that, that issue that, within the last year, by the way. Just that's on DC Universe. Wow, really? Right. Uh-huh. Here's the thing. On DC Universe, it is literally a mix of pages that have literally just been scanned in from the comic and not retouched. Mm-hmm. And fully refinished pages. Mm, I bet. Like, in the same story. In the same... Wow. Okay, that I was not expecting. That's yeah, it's amazing. really weird leafing through it. It's like... Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so I just checked on Comixology and Kirby's The Demon. They only have the twelve individual issues, which is, but they also have the full trade paperback digitized, and it's available on Comixology Unlimited. So it's like, but they just never got around to doing the rest of them as individual issues up for sale. So hopefully they will. But it's like. DC, like it's it's odd. It's really right. It's it's, it's, it's really yeah. strange. Like yeah. the, the, whoever's in charge of deciding what gets digitized, what doesn't, makes no sense. Especially because, like you said, the whole collection's up there. Yeah. So, like the digital files exist. Yes, clearly. Put them on yeah, it's very strange. It's yeah. very strange what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they'll continue. I really do hope they continue to fill in those gaps and build that out. Uh, Seeing that it happened this week, that they did include some old stuff with the new stuff, I'm like the the twelve months old new stuff. Um, I'm hopeful. 
I have to say. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to get slowly get more and more and more in there, even if it is um, uh, uh, some variation on, like, you know, we've literally just scanned the pages in. Or in the case of some of the, I think it's Adventure Comics issues, there's some that are just black and white pages. Yes. They which, were never recolored. Yeah, which they did um, – God, they did that with a couple of comics. Like, they – DC, I don't know why, maybe because they were told to because of future movie stuff, but like two, three years ago, probably longer, they did, you know, the Joker series, the eight or nine issues from the 70s, and the ninth Mm -hmm. issue were just black and white, you know, pages. And I was like, that's odd. (laughs) Why? You know, um, and I, I, I have my theories, but yeah, it's really, it's, it's strange. It's especially strange if you think about the idea that ever since, wasn't it with the reorganization, the launch of the new, was it, was it the launch of the new 52 or was it after DC moved to LA that Wildstorm just became the digital division instead of its own comic imprint? It must have been New 52. Yeah, that's what um, I think. Because Wellsummer essentially got folded into the DCU at that point. Right, right. And, and they got folded it. back out to, for, for Ellis doing the Wildstorm. Wow, really? I didn't realize that was the way that they handled it there. That's it. I mean, I have absolutely no idea if, if you know, the Wildstorm... Well, what I meant is the Wildstorm characters became part of the DCU. Oh, I see. Yes, they certainly did. And right, the comic imprint itself kind of disappeared and the comic imprint and the characters yes. being separate. Got it. Yes. Yeah, but I do think, I, I want to say offhand that Wildstorm was basically the people. And part of me was like, well, I don't know what the size was, but like you guys should be able to crank it out. And following people like Mike Metzer on Twitter He's a guy who definitely spends a lot of time looking at the new releases on Comixology. Pretty, you know, because the DC tends to drop their um, new old issues, not with the new releases on Wednesday. No, they like, tend to drop them on like Mondays, right? Yeah, Mondays or Tuesdays. I forget which for sure. But um, so, you know, he tends to follow that and then we'll sort of post pictures about stuff he's picked up and posted. So DC, you know, continue to put a lot, has been putting a lot of their older stuff on there. Um, it's just strange that whatever their marching orders were, <coughs> it was like, yeah, do, you know, do all these issues of the demon. Oh, they're not really selling. Okay. Forget it. We'll never get around. Like it took them forever to get, all of Commandy up there, you know, they were yes. doing like, felt like years and years and years. Yeah. I remember there was a point where it seemed like they were releasing an issue every month and then it just stopped. Yes, exactly. And it, which gutted me and they finally turned around and cranked them all out. And now of course, I think all 40 of those issues are available on DC universe, which is, yep. Yep. They are awesome, which is awesome. So I should mention since it's, since we're recording this on free comic book day, uh, the episode of Exiled that uh, I participated in oh, is, up. is is up and out in the wild. So yeah, it's uh, a very I I retweeted it and hold on, let me see if I can find the. You're going to um, put that in the show notes. I definitely am. I definitely am because it's a special episode of Exiled that you can find at exiledpodcast.com. 
where it's me and Al Ewing and Gene Adazer and uh, Madison Rowan uh, do we were it's Stardust the Super Wizard Mysterio Dr. Light and Kid Colt trying to get a mysterious mission done um, for our mysterious masters and Stardust the Supervillain Super Wizard yes yeah, Star- Super Wizard sorry yes yeah 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 uh, the great Fletcher Hanks creation which I have to say was the perfect uh, role-playing character for me to play. I'm very proud of playing that character the way that I did because he's got almost infinite power and yet is kind of a moron. So um, it's kind of perfect for me to ro- to quote-unquote role-play. Whereas Al Ewing is amazing uh, as Kid Colt. Um, he and his Hammond organ. Yes, and his Hammond organ. Did you listen to the episode already? No, I just looked up the website. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, basically, uh, Al's first attempt was he wanted to play as the uh, protagonist of of Red Dead Redemption. And um, our DM, Luke Hare, was kind of like, uh, it's got to be a comic book character. He's like, fine, it's Kid Colt and his Hammond organ. But he actually puts on an American accent, an American cowboy accent for it, and um, you know, uh, all of all of his actions are more or less Red Dead Redemption tropes and and video <laughs> game comments. It's really pretty great. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> he he actually plays a couple of tunes on his organ for us. Uh, it's actually just one tune, but he gives it like different titles. Uh, it's. It's 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 a very wait now now I have to ask there is actually Hammond organ there's actually an organ there's actually an organ he actually Al does play an organ in the background he's like and this is a little number I like to call and then it's like beep 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 oh my god oh my god just because we've just mentioned Hammond organs I'm going to digress uh, very briefly to say first of all I think you Jeff maybe not listeners know of my love of Hammond organs. I don't know if I did. I love Hammond organs. I cannot play the keyboard at all. I can't play a piano. I can't play anything. I love Hammond organs because Hammond organs have a very particular sound to them that they can make crunchy noises. Noises <laughs> I can only describe as crunchy. And there is honestly potentially no more pleasant sound in the world to me mm. than when someone is playing a Hammond organ and they get to the crunchy bit. Wow. I was walking to the grocery store the other day, mm-hmm. and I walked past what was 100% a dissembled Hammond organ left on the side of the road. <laughs> and I shit you not, I really stood there for like five minutes looking at it going like, how would I get it home? Mm. Could I rebuild it? And like really, really going back and forth about there's no way I could rebuild that. And for all I know, there's parts missing. But at the same time... Oh, this might be Hammond Organ. Graham, Graham, I'm so t- sad you told me this story because apparently you don't know. But my understanding is if anyone reports you to City Hall, you can officially be evicted from Portland for not taking on a ridiculous DIY project like that from something that it, you found on the side of the road. It, it's a problem. But no, I really did. Like, I really was like. Could I rebuild a Hammond organ? And again, I can't play an organ, Jeff. Maybe I you honestly, could after honestly, you rebuild no, I, it. I, I really couldn't. But I honestly was just like, 
but I could make just like could I just get like a couple of crunchy notes? <laughs> and I was honestly imagining a situation where like I could set the organ up like by my desk, and if I'm a really bad day at work, I'd just turn around and be like, <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, okay, I can go on. <laughs> like this is a really bad day, turn around, and I'd be like, yeah, that that's all I need. Graham, I have to say you have shamed me. I I didn't consciously think that there would I wasn't thinking of it as a competition in any way, but when I was like, Yeah, I played Stardust the Super Wizard at a role playing podcast with Al Ewing as Kid Colt, I was like, Graham's not gonna be able to top that. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> The battlefield no, is I 100% yours. did not top that. Let's just, let's... No, like, call, no, call, disagree. Call a biscuit a biscuit. I did not top hard, that at all. Hard disagree. Hard disagree. I'm going to be thinking about the term crunchy organ notes for oh, a God. long time. Um, I have... My love of 1990s uh, British music is is well known on this podcast indeed um morgan nichols was a member of this uh god what they called oh shit senseless things in the early 90s he later became like a session musician for like muse like he's he's done a bunch of things he had a incredibly short-lived solo career when i say short-lived one album jeff Mm. um there is a b-side of his first single which is literally a version of this of the song the the a-side but he's just playing like a crunchy Hammond organ instead of the vocals. And it is maybe my favorite thing in the world. Wow. Cause he, he goes, he goes crunchy. He goes full crunchy. He's like, fuck this melody. I'm just going. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, this is all. One. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Thank you. God. Wow. Thank you. Here's my, I, I will finish this off with this story of the internet is a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Morgan Nichols had this one album solo career. Mm-hmm. He then tried, I, I, I guess, unsuccessful comeback. Like, we're talking five years ago. No, it must have been long. So I was still writing for Time Magazine when it happened. Um, so let's say 10 years ago. Right. Um, where he put one track out that you could buy digitally. Mm-hmm. And I bought the track, and I couldn't download it. Right, <laughs> every time I tried to download it, it would fail. Right, and there was a like, if you have any concerns, e- like email this email. Right, and so I email, and I'm, I basically I'm like, you know, I bought this. I'm a big fan. Like, I fucking bought your solo album, like you know, 15 years ago. Um, I wish you'd released this one, like vinyl B side. Which was uh, the would, Crunchy Organ solo? No, 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 no. An entirely different song. Oh, my God. Uh, which, I wish you'd put this uh, out uh, on the album. Um, and also, I can't download this. Can you like? Can you give me a link? And he sent back the songs. He just attached them to the, to the email. Right. And a version of this final B-side that I hadn't heard in, like, 15 years. Oh, man. Well, that's and a I great was, like, story. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, completely, completely. That's fabulous. And I'm done. Like we like this. This. Let's get back to talking about playing music in this podcast because that makes me really happy. Yeah, I no. It's it's a it's a thing to hear. I it's. I mean, everyone. Honestly, everyone was great. I had so much fun, and the people I played with were so sharp. And I have to say, for people who want to get into uh, role-playing games but are afraid that um, 
you know, afraid to do so because you're, you know, dim or slow or don't really know the rules, just ask the GM to give you a semi-omnipotent character that's, you know, insane. And uh, and it really helps a lot. It really does. It makes up for it. You know. I, I'm going to have to listen to this because I have never been into uh, role-playing games, but I've always been kind of scared of them. Oh, really? Oh yeah, no! I've yeah, always been I felt really. Yeah. I've always felt really self conscious about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to listen to this podcast and see see just what I think, Jeff. Yeah, I, I will be really amused if you do check it out because because uh, it's because it was an odd beast and of course you know comics so you know you'll appreciate that end of the weirdness and then also be you know, you could just be like, what the hell was that? Which may be the proper and appropriate response. So I'm looking forward to everyone. Listen to Jeff's other podcast this week. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's, it's very much, uh, Luke, Luke Hare, the GM does the, does the lion's share of course, of the heavy lifting in terms of crafting a story, keeping us all either on track or dealing with us being ridiculously off track as well as, as well as the free comic book day specials that he does are, you know, with special guest characters, but he's got a a regular sharp crew that maneuvers through, um, very fun comic heavy, um, alternate universe, uh, role-playing adventures. So I'm not, unfortunately, as you know, I am, I'm still strangely, uh, unable to do to the can't walk and chew gum. So I'm still very podcasting deficient in my, um, uh, experiences, but it's uh, the few episodes that I've listened to, I've enjoyed. So what I'm saying is, is come, come for Al Ewing's amazing organ <laughs> and then stay. For really, the I love the. I love that that was followed up by. A... <laughs> I just, I just I couldn't help it. <laughs> anyway, Graham, on that ever so sophisticated on that note, bombshell. yes, on that bombshell, perhaps it is is time for us to to close close down this episode. Yes, yeah, so let's let's sing ourselves out. Uh, there will be show notes for this episode up on waywhatpodcast.com on Sunday, Monday, Jeff, how are you feeling about your your deadline this week? Oh, man, I don't know. Let's I, say Monday. Let's let's give ourselves. Some, it almost some never happens that way. Check it out late Sunday, definitely Monday morning. Uh, in the meantime, you can check out our Tumblr at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. You can check out our Instagram, which went fallow for two days as I had a really surreal uh, end of week work experience. Mm. Um, that's at excuse me while I burp as well. I'm really sorry. That's at uh, Instagram.com forward slash WaitWhatPod, or you can check out our Twitter account at WaitWhatPodcast. Jeff Lester has a Twitter account at LazyBassett at L A Z Y B A S C I D, and I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And this whole show exists. What well, doesn't exist, but is gratefully funded by the wonderful people at uh, Patreon, which means Jeff Lester is going to tell you all about Patreon right now and admonish me for saying it exists purely because, because that's Drock. Jeff, take it away. Yeah. I I was like, hmm, what is he, maybe he means sort of like in the way that the Avengers were able to... Maybe that's where he was going with it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, Jeff and I were turned to dust and... <laughs>
<laughs> exactly. It's easy to keep track of. No worries. No, no oh, weird God, did congestion. Did I just spoil something for Endgame outside the spoiler oh, thing? Oh, son of a bitch, you did. I actually, will, maybe I'll bleep that out. I don't know. Yeah, like bleep that out because I just, I bleep that out and only leave the context by me going, did I just spoil something outside of end, uh, uh, Endgame? Yes. Yes, I will. I, I yes. People, uh, either Jeff bleeped it out, in which case you don't know what I was talking about, or Jeff didn't, in which case... <laughs> I love the fact that it's the yeah it's kind of uh, quantum like it's it's Schrodinger's Schrodinger's uh, potentials yes indeed um anyway we're super grateful I was actually weirdly going to go with the whole if a tree falls in a forest uh, and there's no one around to hear it doesn't make any sound if Graham and I were having all these conversations and they weren't being listened to by anyone else. Would they really exist? Well, yes, of course, but really? So we're incredibly grateful really? to, really? <laughs> we're incredibly grateful to uh, our wonderful listeners for continuing to um, give us things to talk about, give us things to think about and um, uh, put up with us as we continue to do so across the hour, the hundreds of hours that we have we have done so and we're super grateful to uh our supporters over on patreon to um throw us a little bit of the uh infinity gem cash dollars i don't know how they're referred to in the marvel contest of champions uh anymore but i'm sure it's something like that throw us the iso 9 god was it the iso 9 iso 8 that's it God, I should just bleep all this out and then pretend. No, that no, was a no, no, spoiler. no. Just, just leave it in. Just leave <laughs> it in, people. We're, it's like it's it's getting late, and both of us are getting a little bit goofy. Yep. Yeah. So that's probably a sign that uh, we should we should think about shutting this down. But honestly, thank you so much for your support. We also want to thank uh, Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We're um, continue to remain indebted to her continuing support of this podcast. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's the score, Alan Moore. I, I I think that's all anyone needs to know. Apart from the fact that we are taking a skip week next week, we'll be back in two weeks, and uh, we may or may not be doing a drug. The reason I say that is we still have to decide whether or not we're doing a drug. Yeah. For reasons that will become obvious when you hear the next episode, I will say no more than that. Holy shit, Graham. No it's, more. It's called a cliffhanger. Jack. I was about to say, your years in entertainment reporting have like turned you deeply. Like You gotta hookify it. It's like, listeners, by the time of this next podcast, one of what us will be, be dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, we both went to the same joke. Totally. Oh no. I-, I promise that both Jeff and I will be alive on the next podcast, unless something actually happens <laughs> we do not think. Or will we? <laughs> what a horrifying thought. Anyway, we'll be back in two weeks with some form of episode. Thank you as ever for listening, and more importantly, bye!